Let's go down to ringside. The following podcast is scheduled for one episode and is our vantage point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Outside, we couldn't see it from our vantage point. Welcome back to our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Thank you so much for being with us here for episode number 116 here on Monday, February the 4th, 2019. We are here to romp you through the world of retro wrestling. As always, I'm Joe Morata, alongside the one and only Michael Quinn. How you doing there, Michael? Howdy diddy. We have made it to February, Michael. How do you feel about that? Well, it's um, cold. <laughs> it it's is. very cold. It's, it's the shortest fe- month, though. It's the shittiest month. <laughs> that, what is the deal with that, anyway? What, what is like, the deal? I just don't like the whole, why is it 28 days? Who decided that? Well, sometimes it's 29. Whatever. It's, During leap years. Can you at least be 30 February? <laughs> just at least. Could you do that for me? And it isn't even a leap year this year, but we'll tell you what you can do, folks. You can leap on over to Twitter and follow us there at OVP Podcast. You can also email us at OVPPodcast at gmail.com. That is vppodcast at gmail.com but Quinn there's a really great place to romp through the world of retro wrestling along with us and it's over on a nice neat website known as Facebook yeah facebook.com slash podcast slash crunch it's a place where the sound is crunchy but anyway yeah you can go over there and post things and we don't care what it is we invite anybody we uh, do you just go in the search bar on your Facebook web page um, thing yeah, your or app page. do you like apps because that, that's the thing that Facebook does too but Either way, they have a search bar over there, and you type our vantage point death retro wrestling podcast. Kablamo! Well, you see the group first, you hit join, and, and then, then kablamo? The, the operators, the tubes, pneumatic tubes, right, all that. Right. All that stuff happens, and you're in. So. Then kablamo. Then kablamo. Okay. Yeah, it says it on your screen afterwards. <laughs> I wish we could have like an, an intro a message. Splash page. To, yeah, splash page with kablam. Like, well, folks, go on and splash on over to our Facebook group. It really is a fun time. Like Quinn said, we welcome everybody, whether you've been watching the retro wrestling only. Or whether you watch all of the current wrestlings, whether you've been a fan for four years or 40, check out the group. It really is a fun time. We'll be glad to have you over there. That's over at Facebook. And later on in the show, we will have some information about the changing of the Patreon. That'll be coming up later this month. It's patreon.com slash OVP podcast. You can check that out. And we'll also shout out some friends of the show. But Quinn, here for this season, what we've been talking about, as you know, and maybe you fans that are just joining us for the first time for your benefit. We've been talking about downfalls of certain things in the world of retro wrestling. Uh, you know, we've talked about the Ultimate Warrior, Saturday Night's main event, jobber squash matches, the Intercontinental title, for example. Last week, the National Wrestling Alliance. Yeah, that. that. You remember it? Yeah, I do remember it. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about, and this is suggested by Jake Georgeson. You can find him over on the Splashy Facebook group. We're going to be talking about the downfall of managers. Mr. Gildenberg will be sitting there at ringside with the prudent wild red berry to see that Bruno Sammartino can no longer get by with his disrespectful, disgraceful tactics which he has employed in his wrestling ring in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yes, managers. You know, those guys who stand around outside the ring. <laughs> Usually they're, in funny coats. They're banned from the Rumble for reasons. <laughs> yeah, um, they are, right? Sometimes they're ladies also. Yeah, sometimes. Occasionally. 
Managers, I mean, we could go on forever about this. I know we have. We did a Rushmore of managers way back when, you know, way back in the archives, one of the early Rushmores. Back in the day. Way back in the That's day. That's what they say. Yeah, they do. Back in the day, they say. No, they do say back it in all the day. Rhymes. No, they do. It's yeah. okay. <laughs> I must say. Anyway, uh, <laughs> managers were ubiquitous in professional wrestling, not just the WF. Yeah, WF. But also the NWA and every promotion, essentially, in the 70s especially and 80s. I feel like 80s was the decade of the manager, really. Yeah. Where they were really at their most prominent. Do you think that that was because there was a bunch of guys who... um I guess had a had a mouth for not video or radio because <laughs> they just were like big oafs who didn't really talk good, well or anything. Well, that's what didn't really talk goodly. Yeah, don't didn't talk goodly well, you know, us talking on a podcast. And I'm coming from the show me state, Missouri, where we will show you what I have in store. No, thanks. Yeah, I think that's part of the reason. I mean, the manager's main function throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and today when it's done properly, there's a few functions. To sell tickets, to draw money, and to get a match and their wrestler over. Plain and simple. That's the point of them, right? It, it was yeah. always to get the angle over, to get the wrestler over. Also, sometimes you just want to see the manager get the shit beat out of them because they're so damn annoying. Right. Some of those real effective heel managers from the 80s, 70s, 80s, like Lou Albano would be a great example. And and I mean, Jimmy in, in the 80s, definitely Bobby the Brain Heenan, probably the most prominent of the I want to see this guy get beat up. Oh, hell yeah. Humiliated, dressed in a weasel suit, etc. <laughs> right, the weasel suit. Now, Ivan Polish Power Putski is a great wrestling athlete. Absolutely. What a great wrestling maneuvers he does. Hmm. Like the double punch. But managers really became a lost art as the 80s became the 90s. Now, without running through you know every single manager of all time, we can just roll it back, I guess, to the 70s where the WWF you know, later the WWF had their... Or WF. Yeah, That's the WF. On this show. The three wise men, I believe they're referred to, Quinn. <laughs> Why? Okay, can, can we get some clarification? Why? That's I don't know. such a stupid name. <laughs> it's it's really that? dumb. That sounds like some of that, like, like I don't know, that New York shit. You know what I mean? Like, the people in New York, like... Yeah, the three wise men kind have of like, of wrestling. Like, elevating their status or something. Right. I mean, essentially, they were just the only three managers they hired. Right. Like, and <laughs> the only three heel managers, and then you had Arnie Skoland was the face manager. Yeah, and those guys worked there basically forever. Like, <laughs> yeah. And those, of course, folks would be Classy Freddie Blassie. Yep. The Grand Wizard. Eh, and <laughs> Lou Albano, who my favorite of the three is Lou Albano. I don't know about you. I have to say something about them. If you look back... <laughs> at least in WWF, those guys had better job security than all of the wrestlers, if you really think about it. Because they, like, if you look at the scene, yeah. like, all these guys come in and out, but these four fuckers never leave. But like, don't they, you think, they are never gone. But don't you think that speaking to their talent of getting their wrestlers over and helping draw fans and helping, you know, make heat, heel heat, you know, see them get their asses kicked, isn't that part of the reason why? I don't know if it's part of the reason why as much as it's just hard to find somebody that will take that job because I think the managers didn't even make as much Well, they didn't as make the as much, no. Of so, like, not. maybe, like, it was maybe you just find your guys and you kind of stick with them back then. I don't know, maybe. like, the business reasoning, like, you know, the cost analysis of right. the managers probably, you know, <laughs> over, sheet. over in the accounting department at right. WF. But, you know, I think that uh, I think that managers that worked more than one wrestler, you know, several matches a night, they made more money that way. And that was kind of why most managers would be with more than one guy, because every time you appear, you get paid for it's that. Probably the only way to make it equal to what the wrestlers and make it worth their while. Even so. I would imagine so. Uh, the 80s saw the uh, the dawning of my favorite era of managers as by the early mid 80s, you know, Wizard unfortunately passed 
passed away in the early 80s. Uh, Albano faded away in 86 after turning face the previous year. Yeah. And Blassie retired. But it's we kind had of the second generation. Yeah. Right. And my favorite generation of right. managers, the, the Bobby Heenan, who was a big name in AWA and then made his right. way to WWF. Jimmy Hart, again, a big name in Memphis, made mm-hmm. his way to WWF. A slickster. The Slickster, who was really a, a kind of an unknown, he had been in wrestling already, but was relatively unknown but he until came in WWF. right when that second generation yeah, took over. Yeah, uh, and then obviously Mr. Fuji, who apparently like stopped wrestling the day he started managing. It feels yeah, like Yeah, I don't know what was up with that. Also, Johnny V. <laughs> oh, he's stuck. Now, Johnny V. is interesting. He stinks because he kind of came in again around like I want to say like eighty four. Even I want to say he was or, a wrestler though. Yeah, but wasn't he? Didn't he just start managing around then? I'm yeah, say, you yeah. know what, eighty four, eighty five. Yeah, but he sucks so bad that they just <laughs> were like, "Can you go on Coliseum Video?" And then he sucked at that, and they were like, "Can you just leave and go to AWA because we don't want you here anymore?" <laughs> I mean, there that's what it, happened. It's true. I want everybody just to book up and hook up and listen to JV what he's talking about right now. There's a man coming into the picture right here in the Bay Area. Who cares? And then you had like the really lower tier managers like Oliver Humperdinck. Oh, and- come on. Does he even count? <laughs> no. Well, he, had he was one client. Apparently, uh, and Paul Orndorff for a little while in 87, but, but apparently he, <laughs> don't worry about yeah. it. Apparently he was better as a heel in the NWA, which I totally believe. Allegedly, he because face. I've never seen him be good at anything. We have a situation here of good against evil. I'm not afraid to say that I represent evil. But in other promotions, Quinn, you had Jim Cornette on the rise in the 80s. You had uh, Skandor Akbar, <laughs> Sheik Adnan yeah. Al-Kassi. Uh, now, Sheik, that's General Adnan, right? Yeah. Okay. What about, but here's a good one. Gary Hart was very good. Yeah, I like him. Gary Hart He's was really okay. good. And who at Paul Jones, who I can't stand, but I don't think I'm supposed to like J. him. J.J. So. Dillon. J.J. Dillon, another, Jojo Dillon. Yeah, Quinn. he, w- okay, J.J., I want to say, was N.W.A.'s best. <sighs> no way. Jim Cornette was. Uh, what are you should... talking about? I, Jim Cornette is I better disagree. than J.J. Dillon. I think J- I strenuously object. I strenuously object? Is that how it works? Objection. Overruled. No, 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 no. No, I strenuously object. Oh, wow. Strenuously object, and I should take some time to reconsider. I think Jimmy Cornette was like the, he was like almost like a third generation, if you want to, because J.J. was there earlier than him. Yeah, but that doesn't make him better. And also, J.J. had the four horsemen, so you can't really, like... Still, the, did they need him, though? Yes, because he... They had Rick Flair! J.J.'s function basically was to be essentially what Bobby Heenan was, as he wanted to Bladder see get function. his ass whooped. Doing freaking commercials. I mean, like, when I watch those four horsemen skits, a lot skits. of times... Vaudeville. <laughs> a lot of times, JoJo would, like, <laughs> in the end, would get his ass whooped. He, remember when he was in the war games? Yeah, I do remember, like, Quinn, yes. That was, like, a, a focal thing. That was part of the whole thing with the horsemen. The whole ensemble, the whole ambiance yeah, like of the like, horsemen, right? Well, also, we also want to see J.J. get beat up. The like, whole that, je ne sais quoi. Yeah, exactly. I get it. Yeah. I still think Cornette's better, but fair point. Okay, J.J. Dillon, right? And also, even in world class, you had uh, Percy Pringle, who would go on to become Paul Bearer. Now, did he have Pringles? Did he invent that <laughs> snack? I'm yes. just kidding. But like, no, he did. Every time I, I hear his name, I'm just <laughs> like, oh, the chip. That was a big deal, though, the managers, right? And as we turn into the 90s, most of the guys we mentioned are still active. Mm-hmm. Bobby retires. Jimmy Hart becomes the WWF's A manager, but then he leaves, and eventually it's Fuji, and then like they're and just don't forget, like, fuck Perc- this. Percy Pringle comes in as Paul Bear. Paul Bear, replacing Brother Love, thankfully. Yeah, I don't know what that was about. <laughs> and in uh, WCW, you know, Jimmy Hart became the preeminent manager, the heel preeminent manager in the mid-90s. Now, Jimmy was kind of, I don't know, he felt like he was on his own by that point, because WCW didn't have a lot of managers. Um, 
Um, no, they didn't. What about Teddy uh, Long? Teddy Long. That's what I'm he's thinking stunk. of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good as a manager. He had a, it was Doom. He was good. He had Ice Train. You've brought that up before. It's not good. Well, WCW acted it like it was a big <laughs> deal. And he also was like a face manager, which was weird because Jimmy Hart was a face manager all at the same time. And then he turned heel. Sherry was a heel manager. And Sherry would be one of the, the few female managers that was really like a manager until Tammy Sitch. Yeah. And we, for, we actually forgot to mention Sherry was kind of, I would say she was more of a second generation because she was like in the in the dead center of that Late second 80s. generation yep. of managers. Early 90s, right? And she was really, the like you said, other than Elizabeth. Which Who wasn't I, really a manager. She's more of valet. Yeah. I guess you would call her. A glorified her. valet. But Come on. Sherry was like She did everything on, a male yeah. heel manager would do. Right. You brought your stupid bleach blonde bubblehead Hogan in there. You tried to destroy my macho man. You're not going to do it. You, the beefcake, Hogan, no one is going to destroy the macho man. And so did Tammy Sitch. Uh, right. Even as her Tammy Fitch character in Smoky Mountain's really good. Right. And Sonny as a manager. But that's it. By then, the WWF in the mid-90s has got Sonny, what, Cornette sometimes. Well, remember, Sable became a manager. Don't get me started on Sable. <laughs> With okay. Wild Man Mark ah, Miro. Mark Miro. Yeah. And then managers pretty much die off. And they're reduced to, by the late 90s, early 2000s, Sexy females. Not that there's anything wrong with that, okay? But would be like Stacy Keebler. Yeah, but they're not really doing what a previous manager would do. Yeah. Where they would actually try to generate heat, speak for the person. And like you said at the top of the segment, Quinn, that was generally the function as managers, for the most part, there were obviously exceptions, would speak for people that weren't quite they, good at it on their own. They generally, not yeah, always. They weren't doing what they had previously done. By the they 90s, were just you mean standing like, there. <laughs> and like, and, I mean, essentially, all, first of all, they all became, like you said, the eye candy. Yeah, and there I'm was, not objecting to that necessarily, but, but... For some reason, they just decided at some point, it's like, there's going to be no more male managers. And you had, like, rare ones... Paul Heyman's one to this day. Well, then, like, even in the two, when you get into the 2000s, like, El, Alejandro El, El cool Estrada, J. what's his name? Armando Alejandro Estrada. That guy, yeah. yeah. But he did what a heel manager normally would do, where he spoke for Umaga. Like, he actually was a real manager. Yeah. Right? And what was the other one that was with Del Rio? Oh, uh, Ricardo. Ricardo Rodriguez. Yeah. Yeah. Same I, type some of thing. The, the, also, their names became like, it was always that kind of manager. Alliterative. To, like, alliterative, long winded name. Yeah. Weird. And also, Tony Atlas became a manager at some point. That remember wasn't that? good either. Like, yes, I remember <laughs> that. <laughs> that was his gimmick, like doing that laugh. <laughs> to what do you attribute the downfall of managers? I don't know. It just maybe it seemed unnecessary because they started conditioning these guys to all have catchphrases and promos. And like, yep. they didn't really have room anymore for people who couldn't talk. That's a good point. The only one that I feel that they never cared about his talking ability was Brock Lesnar. Yeah. And they always put him with Heyman anyway. Right. Always. Literally. They always. were like, this guy transcends needing to cut promos. Other than saying, like, blood, piss, and vomit, or whatever. <laughs> Hi! Yeah. Uh, but that's also the thing, was the problem with Brock Lesnar. I, I always felt like it wasn't that he couldn't talk, it's that his voice was that of a baby. <laughs> yeah. And, like, so they were like, well, he could talk, he's not that bad at talking, right. he just sounds like an infant, so... <laughs> you know what I mean? It's true, though, yeah. right? It really is true. Right. I was put on this earth... To seek and destroy and to hurt people. Nowadays, anytime, you know, you have Heyman cutting the same sweaty, borderline heart attack promo, it's gotten old by this point. <laughs> the reigning, defending, undisputed, universal heavyweight champion, Brock. 
Lesnar. It's not that he's cutting a bad promo. It's that basically he's been doing the same one all those years. And like, I don't like to fault him for it because it's effective. But at the same time, it's like if you do it for, I feel like it's like eight years in a row now. Yeah, that's what it feels like. It's not like the territory days where you could go to 17 territories and it would be fresh. He's doing it in the same territory, essentially, and it's it's nothing anymore. Getting rounder and rounder before our eyes, too. He's a very wide man, Paul Heyman. He's getting older, and I I, I, actually, I've heard that, um, you know, people are worried about his health. His cholesterol chart. Yeah. (laughs) Anyhow, in terms of managers, I mean, on the indies, where people have more freedom to hone their craft, so to speak, and even, you know, one of the great managers that, unfortunately, Unfortunately, is no longer with us that we had the pleasure of actually seeing front row, front and center and seeing quite a lot was uh, sweet and sour. Larry Sweeney. He was the last. He was like a throwback. Right. Oh, my God. He was great. And but don't you think, though, that there could still be effective managers? They just don't do that anymore. That's what I think. I feel like they just by the 20 years ago or so, by the late 90s. Yeah. Where, like you said, you know, everyone cuts their own promos. Everyone has a catchphrase. And, and during that time, everyone was over, bro. They just felt like there was maybe no more of a need for managers. And do you think they could still do it? They just choose not to. Um, I think there's just no need. I think that's all it is. I think it's as simple as that. Like I said, we're conditioning these guys from NXT to talk yeah, from so, day zero. Even right. Though, even most of them suck at it. But still, because <laughs> it's always how do you feel or whatever. Yeah, but I, I, I guess they think that's adequate. And um, second of all, I think they just don't want to ex- use the expenditure on the payroll. They don't want to, like, pay these people. To just do one thing. Right. Whereas you have a wrestler that talks and wrestles, Like, right? if they want somebody to be a manager, they probably also want them to be, like, boy number 17 yeah. and, and, you know, host the NXT after party and, like, all this bullshit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I do. Do you think we're ever going to see a day where managers return to their former glory or is that ship sailed? <sighs> I don't see a reason. I really don't. Like, Paul Heyman's the last one. Is that unfortunate to you, though? Or do you think, I think we've just moved on? I think it's unfortunate, but they they don't even seem to know how to do it. You really don't think they do anymore? No, because even with Paul, they just say, do the same shit for five years in a row. Now, it's like, effective, though. Paul Heyman is effective. I mean, people dig him and stuff, but there's only so much you can... How long can you go with that? Well, especially at this rate with him, he's expanding rapidly horizontally. You keep saying that, but... He is large. Have you seen him recently? He looks like the mayor of Munchkin City with that guy. Yeah, well, Lou Albano was large by the end, too. So yeah, let's, he was let's fat and proud. Paul, leave Paul alone. I'm not leaving yeah. Paul alone. So overall, you think that we're kind of not going to see this ever again, at least in WWE? I don't think so. Unless some like manager comes in and is like... So unbe- charismatic. He's so unbelievable that it's like enviable and it becomes this like, we need more of that. Do you think there's even people trying to break into the business anymore to As be a manager? Does WWE no. want that? Probably not, right? They probably well, want wrestlers. Listen, here's the other thing. WWE doesn't hire those people, right? right? And those people are people that got hurt while they were in NXT and they like feel bad about it. Like Corey Graves. Like yeah. That's essentially what that is. I know. Like, it's why the consolation he, employment. What they, why he is there is because they feel bad. Even Nigel McGuinness. True. Um, because I did you, did you watch the documentary about him? No. It's very interesting because... They actually got footage from Ring of Honor and went about it, and they they have all these wrestlers. Like this guy was like the best guy to get never get signed by WWF, right? And apparently, they explained that the reason he didn't get signed was essentially because of some bullshit that his doctor was like, "Oh, he's healthy," but WWF doctor said he wasn't. Oh, and there was some one conflict, of those. and then they felt bad about it. So that's kind of essentially why they hired him as an really? announcer. Yeah, I actually didn't yeah. know that. So, do you think then that going forward? 
No more managers. It's, and once Paul Heyman dies, which could be any minute now, that's it. They'll always do a throwback one. Like, you know what I mean? Like how they do everything. Like, they're like, like, look, we got a manager again. Like, but like it'll be after there isn't one for five or ten years or something. Right. Look, we have an actual manager. Yeah. Like that, one of those things yeah. where they're like winking at the audience almost. Right. Exactly. Or it's just a novelty. It's like that one person's gimmick is that they're a manager. Do you think someone like a Corey Graves would be a great manager? Because I do. Be I think than he'd be a good manager. I mean, commentary all the they've time. They've been, they've added some like femme fatale style managers. I guess um, yeah, but we've Zelina had that Vega, Zelina like, Vega. I mean, but like, even like Molina Perez was doing that style shit. Yeah, and like I, I don't know. Summer it's, was a good manager. Summer Ray, she was great. <laughs> she was. That lady should have never been fired. I, I still contend. Yeah, like, I know. I, she's she, good. Talented. First of all, you know what? You know what was good about her is she was talented. Like she, she's one of the rare people in the like post-manager world yeah. that would stand out there and, like, be super excited and, like, devastated when her man got hit and, like, right, right, excited right. when her man got the upper hand. Yes. Like, the, the facial expressions and everything. She did everything that you're supposed to do. Absolutely. And they basically just, like, got tired of her, like, and that whole member Lana proposing to, or Rusev proposing to Lana, like, ruined her whole shtick as, like, Rusev's girl. Oh, yeah, that was the last they, run she they had, They screwed right? her over. Well, you know, it's WWE. Of course they screw people and, over. And Quinn. I want to say one other thing about her. All right, go ahead. On top of all of, like, how talented she was, she also was a great representative for the company. She had a reputation of being very good with fans at live events. True. Like, she kind of was the total package in that, you know, that small window of like what a manager slash wwe ambassador Don't slash say that. personality whatever the fuck is i believe like, it's superstar quinn is and, the catchphrase there yeah maybe she's the last new manager ish kind of I person so. i don't know I, I don't know and i'm sure yeah i think you're right i think you hit it on the head there eventually they'll have like look we have a manager again you yeah, know and, exactly. that, and that's that but they'll bring summer ray back in five years <laughs> They could, yeah. seriously. But yeah, folks, let us know your thoughts on managers. What do you think really happened there? Do you agree with our theory that people just started cutting their own promos and managers became kind of needless and expendable? Do you think we will ever see the day for managers ever again? And, uh, you know, what are some of your favorite managers, your thoughts on managers? Let us know if you can manage to tweet us over at OVP Podcast. Join the group, or you can email us, of course. But Quinn, when we come back, we now have our top ten in the Royal Rankings. Yes. So we're adding two more to the mix. That means that we have knockout possibilities. Someone could get knocked off the list, folks. And that is coming up right after this. I've been waiting for a guy to come and take me by the hand. Cody sensations make me feel the pleasures of a normal man. I managed the missing link. I remember that. I'm trying not to. <laughs> what was he like outside the He came up to me the first night. He says, what time is your flight tomorrow? I said around 10. He said, mine's around 11. He said, if you get there a quarter of 10, that's fine. I said, for what? He said, to get my boarding pass. I said, why can't you get it? He said, well, my gimmick, I don't talk. I said, well, you're going to have to now. Because <laughs> I'm going to your manager 20 minutes a night if you go that long. I said, I'm not paid to take care of you on the road. Right. He said, well, I got the face and the hair. I said, this is New York. <laughs> They'll just think you have a bad hairdo. Right. They won't care. You'll blend in. Harley Race to Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair to The Rock, Sting to Steve Austin. You're listening to our Vanish Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. And welcome back, wrestling fans, to our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast, here for episode number 116 on Monday, February the 4th, 2019. Thanks so much for being with us. And Quinn, before we get to the Royal Rankings, 
I just wanted to mention out there, we did mention our Patreon at the top of the show, patreon.com slash OVP podcast. We are undergoing some construction on that, and the yeah. tiers are actually being rebuilt. The wrestler roadblock is involved. Yeah. <laughs> Man at work, work obviously. Yeah, they're, they're all doing things. And the destruction crew, you know, yeah. they'll be there later to help with the demolition, well, they, obviously. You, you have to use the demolition, the tag team, <laughs> yes. with the destruction crew, oh, and gosh. that's what gets rid of yeah. the current tier setup. And the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, I believe, might be there as well. Maybe. There's a lot of people we, involved. It's a lot of people to hire. It I don't is. know if we can afford the Wrecking Crew, but we'll yeah. see. Yeah. So basically what's going on, though, if you head on over to patreon.com slash OVP podcast right now, what you can do is check out the tiers. We have a $2 tier and a $3 tier right now, but we are adding a tier very soon in the upcoming weeks. The $5 tier where Quinn and I are going to review every single month, every WWF pay-per-view, starting with the very first WrestleMania. So that'll be coming out towards the end of February. More details to follow. And you can check that out, of course, on our Facebook group and Twitter and elsewhere. But check out patreon.com slash OVP podcast. See if you want to donate. See what might work for you. We don't do this for the money. The Monday show will always be free. It's always been free. 116 episodes now, Quinn, and specials. Yeah, tons, tons of episodes. Just tons. And tons of free content. Not as much tons as Paul Heyman, but, but nevertheless. there's actually tons of paid content now, too. And yeah. you can go check it out at uh, patreon.com slash OVP podcast. Yep, check it out. See if it's right for you we appreciate it but if not that's fine too all right so the royal rankings quinn we are here this is here we go baby week six now which means that there is a top 10 and we'll run that down in a second for you in the royal rankings if you're new to the show what quinn and i are doing this season is we are taking 20 announcers 20 wrestling announcers both play-by-play and color men as voted on by the fans meaning there's a long list but the top 20 that got voted into the pool the pool the pool the high pool the high pool uh are going to be drawn at random Two people per week, and we have already drawn, our top ten is already there. We have already drawn ten names, and we're adding two more right now. So why don't we run down the current top ten as of last week. At number one, the new number one was Tony Schiavone. The new Coke, the new number one. It's (laughs) Schiavone, baby. But at number two, I still think old Coke is better. It's Lance Russell. Ugh. No, oh. I think I think Shivani's better than oh, that. Oh, what do you the know? The science was correct on that one. I don't know about the science. Number three is Joey Styles. Uh, Joey, respectable at number three. I'm, yep. I'm, I'm okay with that. Number four, continuing to slide down the list, thankfully, is Jerry the King Lawler. You shush. Okay. I hope he doesn't slide down anymore. Oh, he'll be sliding. <laughs> number five, Mauro Ronaldo, Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia, high respectable ranking Very. for a newer announcer. Like I said, 10 years from now, he might. He might one. be a number knows? one on someone's yeah, list. Yeah. That's absolutely right. At number six, old cheese voice himself, Mike Tenay. <laughs> Mike Tenay. Mike Tenay Mr. is... Mr. Provolone. I must say, is higher than I would have ever expected. I know, right? Number seven is pretty serious. Six. Number seven is... Oh, six. Sorry. Number seven, a lot of people were kind of upset that this guy was ranked so low, but Bob Cottle, the sweet, golden-voiced gentleman from the South. It's really the science that has played against Bob Cottle. It's every time you compare them to somebody you're like yeah they're kind of better than him yeah i mean this is scientific when we yep. are wearing our lab coats and yep. goggles beakers and- <laughs> don't forget the beakers <laughs> the beakers and number eight is michael cole yes michael cole um not number 10 <laughs> he should maybe be worse but okay well number nine is sean mooney here yeah. Yeah. check out my new shirt yeah maybe cole is a little better <laughs> than mooney <laughs> and number 10 the one that some people are a little upset about jim Cornette. very deserving number 10 <laughs> That's I all like I'm gonna say. your firm, hard stance on Cornette. That's like four times. Come on. <laughs> this has been proven to be untrue, but nevertheless. Whatever. <laughs> OVW and like nobody ever heard it. Like, <laughs> it's, like, it's like it's like if you were the announcer of an abandoned forest. Like 
did a tree fall down? I don't know. Maybe Jimmy Cornette called it. But, <laughs> he called but it nobody, a motherfucker. Nobody fucking heard it. So <laughs> did it ever happen? With that all said, <laughs> let's go to the Fink. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for the Royal Frankie's. Yes, sir. We promised you a great main event here tonight. Roads touch Sherry first. His name's Fred Katal. Silly name for a Japanese wrestler, Fred. So we've got a great matchup here. His eyes are closed. He can't open them. Week number six. Oh, man, Quinn, we are getting into the nitty-gritty now. We're at the halfway point. The nit and the grit, as we say on the scientific ranking. We do here. On the scientific ranking, of course, you can let us know yours. You can do that on Twitter. You can email us or join the group. But we've read the top ten, and that could entirely change now because two people could be leaving the top ten. It depends on who the next two entrants are. It'll be interesting to find out, Quinn. Now, I will say this just for the benefit of those that might be listening for the first time. Yes, we are mixing play-by-play and color because the whole point here is not to simply go by their technical ability, although that plays a role in this. It's not just to go by who are our favorites because that wouldn't be fair. This is science. Yeah. This it's is, science. There's experiments. We take the holistic approach, right? The holistic approach. Exactly, yeah. Quinn. Every aspect of the announcer's career, their longevity, their impact, their legacy, their ability, how easy they are to listen to, everything down to their voice and the way they come across, it all plays a factor here. And now with that said, I think it's a great time, Quinn, to find out once and for all who drew number 11. he gets he deserves he started it well why not let them all get in there all four of them at once wait a minute monsoon road started it you're condoning everything certainly because road started it well quinn he was right when he said roads touch sherry first it's jesse the body ventura this is a big one folks uh this is one that a lot of people elevate very high on their list very high and you know what i understand why Jesse Ventura, as an announcer, he started doing it in 1985, uh, yep. shortly after the Agent Orange yes, <laughs> shut he, his wrestling career down. He tapped out to Agent Orange. <laughs> he did. He just couldn't move on. But you know what he could do was announce. He was damn good at it. Now, he made his debut. You, some of you uh, you know, history buffs might want to know this one or probably do know this one. I believe his first appearance as an announcer was on the first ever primetime with Jack Reynolds, which was January 1st, 85. Was the first first? I think that was the first time he was actually presented wow. as an announcer. With me the, uh, is my co-host, the one and only Jesse the Body Ventura. Pleasure to be here, Jack. The pleasure's yours and all the people out there on the USA Network. And Jesse Ventura notably did the first WrestleMania with Girl Monsoon. He did WrestleMania 2 with Elvira and yeah. <laughs> Lord Alfred Hayes. What a, that was a weird combination. And he did every other WrestleMania from 3 to 6 with Girl Monsoon. He did every WWF pay-per-view, actually, until he left, you know, yes, in the summer did. of 1990. Whether he was wearing a goofy hat or yeah, a, pilgrim uh, hat. A, a boa. <laughs> yes, like, you right. Know, he had a distinctive style. He absolutely did. Not just his voice, but 
his fashion his fashion statement his as fashion well. choices yeah he would actually stay on primetime all the way until april of 1986 in the less remembered gorilla monsoon jesse ventura pairing on primetime special guest referee for the big title defense by hulk hogan against king kong bundy robert conrad Conrad's job, Gorilla, will just basically be opening and closing the door to that cage because it is a steel cage match. Not Rare. as fondly remembered. No, because it's the earlier days. It's harder to have a storyline with Jesse and Gorilla because they were kind of like presented as equals or something. Almost. I mean, yeah. Je- Jesse maybe even more was um, the more dominant. You know, Gorilla didn't fight back with him the way that he would with Bobby. There was, there was like a respect. It was more of a mutual two. respect, right? It's like, well, they both are wrestlers. so Right. And Quinn, you and I have always said that when Jesse and Gorilla were teamed up for these pay-per-views, it was kind of like a big event because it was like the meeting of the minds because normally you'd find Gorilla generally with Bobby Heenan or Lord Alfred Hayes yeah. and you'd find Jesse with Vince McMahon on Superstars. I'd equate it to nowadays where and sometimes they, they combine the Raw and SmackDown announcers. Right. It, it was kind of like that. It's like the challenge announcers yeah. mixed with the, the superstars. superstars announcers. And now you have this like super team, right? Right. And a lot of people say, even though it's not entirely true, that Jesse Ventura was the first heel come hitter. He wasn't really the first because like guys like Roddy Piper did it in Portland yeah. as a heel and stuff like that. That's true. But Jesse was very unique because he wasn't strictly a heel like a just make fun of the faces only and that's it like always be a heel he had his favorites like the the big example is always macho man right it's right. like he liked the macho man from the day he came in it, he was like yep. a big proponent of the macho man yep and then when the macho man turned face he didn't like him as much but he <laughs> sort of was like still behind him he still respected him right it was like a respect now but it wasn't like a hate yeah, Jesse was consistent. He yeah. he always made fun of Chico Santana. Right. He always liked Bret Hart. Yes, heel true. or face. Excellence of execution. Always hated Hulk Hogan. Yep. But what Gorilla, I mean, what Jesse did that was different than like a Bobby Heenan even is Jesse would point out the hypocrisy in what the faces were doing, and right. he would throw it at McMahon and throw it at Gorilla Monsoon. And now, I loved that about him. Here's here's my whole thing with that. Like as I got older. I realized something, yes. um, and I've no, I've said this to you before. One of the uh, Hogan's most notable things was was he was a face that was willing to give it back to the heels, yes. right? Fight fire with fire, Jess. Fight fire with fire, right? And this flew right in the face of Jesse the Body, who was very real about it. It was like, well, if he's such a good guy, why is he right. doing that? He was like the only person that would question it. Meanwhile, the face announcers would be like, well, that's because they <laughs> yeah, deserve right, right. it or be something. Like, why is he beating up the manager, Monsoon? <laughs> well, like- they got involved there. <laughs> right. and- he, he was within his rights. You know, like, <laughs> like that's like what Gorilla would right, do. Right, of course. Right. Oh, he cracked Andre right across the back. He still couldn't drop the giant with a chair. And Morella should disqualify Hogan. And I just loved, and Jesse and Vince were great too. Jesse was so antagonistic. Yeah. But he was also a realist, meaning if something was good, he would call it good. Right. Even if a face was doing it. Yeah. I mean, like, even during the, the infamous WrestleMania 3, or famous WrestleMania yeah. 3 match between uh, Steamboat, Steamboat and Macho Man, even though, like, the guy he wanted didn't win, he still, like, even said, like, this is the greatest match I've ever seen right, in my life. Right, like, right, right. in the middle of it. And it didn't matter which way it was going. And, like, afterwards, he was even, like, very respectful of, of the match, men. even though Steamboat won. What a battle! This is one of the greatest matches I've ever seen. Small package right in the middle. No, Macho Man out. One of the things that Jesse Ventura did, whether it was with Gorilla or with Vince, and even with Tony Schiavone in WWF and WCW, is he lent a big-time 
feel and credibility to the matches he called. Yes, he did. Not only was he entertaining, but he just, it felt big with that big booming voice. I think because he was so balanced and fair, he felt like hey, a Fox re- News. He felt like a real announcer. Like he felt he like a real sports announcer, even though like, you know, at times he was outlandishly on, oh, the, yeah. on the side of the heels, but it still felt like, no, you're getting like a down the middle kind of thing. Right. right. It's, just an abrasive uh, yeah. Like like a Howard Cosell almost, right? Not with the voice. And if the, <laughs> Clearly, if, not. if the if the rules were broken, sure he was you know happy for the heels to do it. But if the faces did it, he'd call it out too, right? And that was just a very unique counterpoint to the over the top face praising Gorilla Monsoon yep. and Vince McMahon and all that was the style of announcing. You yep. know, in WWF at that time was cheer the faces, cheer the faces, support them. And then the other heel commentators, you know, that coexisted with Ventura besides Tina, like a Johnny V. It was very one-dimensional yeah it was just like no matter what the heels did it was right and yeah. no matter what the faces did it was wrong it, there was never a, a respect for right anything given and that's what jesse was unique about absolutely like he just did it differently than the the former heel announcers did absolutely and honestly did it differently than most future heel announcers would as well you know yeah. i would argue that bobby heenan wasn't even as uh down the, never is down the middle in well, wwf anyway let's put it this way king when he first came in was very like super heel oriented in that old same school. mode yeah but when he went neutral i think king is the the first guy to f- go full neutral on a heel end maybe bobby did it in wcw also when the during NWO, the nwr yeah. he was a, mo- like, a lot more balanced but i think jesse was the first sign of a more neutral even though i would never say he was purely neutral he like, was neutral heel leaning that though. king in 2000 mm-hmm. thing that was like pure neutral yeah i'll like, give you that yeah yeah and then he was stuck in neutral for the rest of his career after <laughs> that but nevertheless back to jesse ventura so he was at the wwf until 1990 and then he went to wcw big deal uh, in 92 yeah and you would find him on all the shows. I mean, now, he's the A is, announcer, A commentator. The, this is the era of Jesse where I start to feel he gets a little off the rails. Um, I think so, too. You can tell he has an agenda and that he hates Hulk Hogan. Oh, in especially real life. when Hogan comes in. in when he, especially when he comes in. But even like when he first came into WCW, he'd make comments about WWF, you know. And well, he was pissed up, at them for years. At them, yeah, you know, know. Things like that. And. I don't know. It felt like he had an agenda when he was in WCW and it wasn't the same anymore. I think, yeah. And I think the problem is that he had been so good on the largest stage that you could in WWF, right? Like all the pay-per-views, network television. He was the Saturday Night's main event caller commentator also, right? And then he gets WCW, who in 92 and 3, I mean, let's face it, they were clearly the number two organization. To to be fair to them, I feel like 92, 93, WCW was, that was just... Eric Bischoff hadn't taken over just yet when Jesse arrived. I no, it think. was Bill Watts or uh, even before that. There seemed to be an attempt on their part to slowly build into something and around they, that time. And they clearly did. Yeah. We'll give them credit there. They, uh, acquiring Jesse Ventura was part of that building. It know? was, and that was a big deal. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that was a big name announcer right. to get Jesse Ventura. But it just felt like, and he was great with Tony, and JR didn't like working with him and vice versa, <laughs> and JR kind of no-sold everything. Right. Which sucks, but the problem was it's kind of like when you reheat french fries in the microwave. Yeah, yeah, exactly, actually. That's how he felt, right? Right, it felt like it was just them doing that over again, and but it it's like the second, it's like a second generation VHS tape. It's like kind of like, <laughs> right, right. it's like, it's good still, but it, it, it looks a little me- 
different. Or Something's a little off, right? It's off. The color balance is weird. Right. Yeah. Or like reheating a cup of coffee. You ever yeah. try that? It tastes like shit. Uh, but overall, Jesse Ventura, before we move on down to number 12, I thought was a fine, fine, great, authentic, unique, organic announcer, true to his, his uh, wrestling persona. Yeah. And I can even say his legacy. I mean, just because of the era he was associated with, I mean, really. One of helps, the top. Probably will help him a lot come ranking time. Um, he's, he's, he's got a lot of great calls and everything like that. A lot of great calls, a lot of unique uh, catchphrases and just the yeah. way he talked. And not only that, I think that he is one. I don't think Bobby tried to emulate him, but I think when you think of a, a heel commentator, who would I want to be like if I was going to be a heel commentator? It's either Bobby Heenan or Jesse Ventura. Yeah, and they're both different ends of the spectrum. They're not they're, the same but thing. But they're the same genre, but they're different <laughs> Like right. they're different sides of it, I guess. I think that's a great yeah. way to put it, and I think Jesse Ventura was truly a trendsetter. Unique, one-of-a-kind, fantastic announcer, and we'll see where he falls with the ranking. But, Quinn, it is now time to find out who drew number 12. Well, Quinn, his name is Paul Heyman. This is going to be a good one. And you know what I love about this episode specifically now because of this? It's that <laughs> these are two big, big well, names. Paul is like, very big, yes. Yeah, so this very list large. is going to get very... well. Not, will you stop? <laughs> Artery clogging. Yeah. You just gorilla monsooned me. Yeah, without I, can, I couldn't to. even help myself there. That was just ridiculous. <laughs> All right, Paul Heyman, Paul Heyman. Before he got fat, he was a, he was a manager, Paulie dangerously, yep. but he was also a Damn good commentator as far back as the WCW days with Jim mm-hmm. Ross, notably, right? Yep. Perhaps even Jim Cornette in the ring as well, to be in all fairness to you. How do you talk so fast? Is there somebody behind I you? With... No, it's just I take vitamins and I don't drink a lot of coffee and I'm pretty healthy. He talks guy. so fast. He talks like Jim Cornette. <laughs> he was a heel commentator, though. Make no mistake. He yes. was much more of a heel commentator than Ventura was down the middle. He was, yeah, he was very of that school of like, Skewel. you know, the heels are always right and. I think when he started, he was a little one-dimensional as far as a commentator was he concerned. Was. It is what it, he just came from the old school. That's all it is. He came yeah. from the territory. He came from Continental and stuff. Yes, he you did. Know, like, Absolutely. So that's the way he did things. And he evolved over time. But Oh, he definitely did. And Quinn. I think that was definitely because of his experience in ECW as a, and also as an owner. As because the he, owner, when he came promoter. out of it, like, he, was a, he was kind of a different commentator. Yeah. So the Paul E. Dangerously heel announcer with Jim Ross and stuff like that is, like we said, it's in the vein of a cornet, of a Bobby Heenan, a motor mouth, you know, of charismatic, funny, yeah. sharp, witty. Kind of trying to get himself over a little, little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Since he was a manager at the time, too, you know, mm-hmm. with the Dangerous Alliance, there'd be a lot of trying to get the alliance over and right. stuff like that as well but i thought he was very good at it yeah it was fine and then his ecw work when you want to talk about that a bit because he was a commentator in ecw sometimes he lended a bit of help to joey styles especially at the beginning i I know a a bunch of the the first episodes after paul took control of the company which was fall of 93 yes he does announcing duties with joey styles but i don't see terry funk attempting too many drop kicks every now and then you know why why is that because if he lands the wrong way it'll break his colostomy bag all over the ring again he's supposed to be a manager Yes. I believe he's supposed to be managing Sabu. He's still Paul E. Dangerously yeah. at that point. And he's still getting his talent over. And it it's kind of almost a guest role for a little bit. But it's it's never said if he's going to be there every week or not at right. the beginning. But he is there for a number of weeks. Yes, he is. Um, again, I feel like it's more like how Cornette was, where it's kind of like a guest. A guest, right. But, but he's great. Damn like, good at it. In that role, he's putting his own guys over, but he's also very neutral because he... 
you can almost hear a tinge of like this is the owner and he wants to put everyone over everyone, kind of thing. Right, yeah, like, exactly. like you know what I mean? Like he only hates people, honestly, that were feuding with his guys, but other than that, he didn't really have a stake in anybody else. No, that's a great point, Quinn. That that is kind of how he came across. Like he wasn't gonna really bury anybody because what good does that do? He owns the damn unless or promotes a damn company. Unless he's supposed to be feuding Correct. With and that's understood in Kate Fabe anyway, right. right? Yeah. But then I'd say his most notable stint, as short as it was was when he was brought in in March of 2001, literally to me as a fan, out of nowhere. a total surprise. He, he just showed up at WrestleMania 17, one of the greatest shows yeah. I've ever seen. But he did a couple of Raws right before that, and yeah. out of nowhere, King and, you know, it was King and JR the whole time, right? Like, yeah. since 97, they were on but their then, own. you know, the cat or something. <laughs> I don't, things happened. You, you know, yes. you know we mentioned this in, in the ranking of King, that, like, usually whatever was going on with his uh, wife at yes. the time, his, you know, his many wives Always at the time, much younger than he. Whatever was going on, uh, eventually one of those wives would get fired or <laughs> be wronged by Vince or, something, or happens. something, and King would be like, I'm leaving, damn it. And yeah. then he'd come back eventually once he was divorced from that wife or whatever. But like, <laughs> great legacy. Yeah. But you're right, Quinn. Yeah. So out of nowhere, I believe it was the first Raw of March 2001, we're greeted by Jim Ross and Paul Heyman, who I thought was still just in ECW. Right. So was that on WrestleMania 17, the first one? I am no, it was right. a couple of weeks before okay. that. Okay, okay. Because right the, rem- the way my brain remembers it, it's just like, and I'm here with Paul Heyman, <laughs> he you was, know, like Hoskule, and and like he just <laughs> he just popped in. But you're, I think you're right. He was like on some a couple raws. of raws. Like it was just like a couple a weeks few. before yep. WrestleMania. Hey, I'm Jim Ross, and they already know who you are. So tell them who I am now. I'm joined by Paul Heyman. I'm joined by Paul Heyman because last Tuesday night, the cat was released by the WWF, and her husband, Jerry the King Lawler, to his credit, walked down right alongside with her. But where there's chaos, Jr., there is opportunity. And tonight, just like TNN threw off ECW for the WWF, the King is gone, and in his chair is Paul E. And the E is for and here's what was cool about it you had been having jr and king for years at this point every monday mm-hmm. night right with yep. very rare exceptions yep. paul Heyman, who was owning his own company right steps in flawlessly smoothly transitions into promoting wrestlemania 17 with jr as if nothing ever yep. happened it was unfreaking believable like it, it was crazy because it's almost like he knew everything that was going on too. That's what like boggled my mind. He stepped in. He knew everything that was everything with every single wrestler. Yep. Like it was just like he'd been here the whole time. It's it, amazing. It was pretty crazy. In the meantime, if I were the Rock, I would be worried about. How can you fight those two men at the same time? It makes no sense to me. One with the crippled crossface. One with the ankle lock. And what I think was so cool about it is that Jr. and Heyman had already worked together before, like I mentioned, in WCW. So we get to their WWF run, and this is March to November. They did commentary together. Yep. They are fantastic and such a breath of fresh air because, like I've always said, by around this time, Jr. and King were getting a little stale. They weren't bad. Okay? Yeah, they weren't before bad. Before you get all upset. Let's let's not act like they were shit. Here we go. Anything, Always Quim with the preeminent it's, defense. It's true, though. They were like, fine. Especially at that point, they weren't shitty. But this was a breath of fresh air. It really was. Paul Heyman coming yeah. in was, was really tremendous, Quinn. I was blown away by him. And it was so good that I remember thinking that, like, I almost didn't want King back. Oh, me too. 
and not that I hated King at that point because you know it was sad that King wasn't around. It's like you almost wish that there could be this scenario where both of them could do. Well, like, maybe King did like, one show, SmackDown or something. Or something. Yeah. yeah, right. But uh, man, WrestleMania 17, which is regarded by a lot of people, including yourself, to be the best WrestleMania. Yeah, whose voices are on that soundtrack, Quinn? It's Paul and Jr. Yep, and they're fantastic together. They're, they're, they're wonderful th- and- throughout. After that WrestleMania, the ball was just rolling. Like they just, they just went. Yeah, right? absolutely. Unlike Paul, who can roll himself now because he's oh, so boy. rotund. Mm, boy. But anyway, and they continue to do commentary on Raw throughout the summer of 2001. When the invasion angle started, they got really funny because they had always been, you know, in kayfabe at each other's throats, right? Yeah, but now Paul's boys are, oh god, yeah, like are involved. And I just remember Jr. like kiss my ass and all yeah. that stuff. Like they would go at it. Let me tell you something. Kurt Angle would have thrown Stone Cold off that bridge. Stone Cold had a kiddie pool. Oh please, had a kiddie pool to fall back into. He was gonna throw Stone Cold off the bridge. Steve Austin is alive today because of his oh, great yeah, self-defense. Right. That's a bunch you of crap. And it was so entertaining <laughs> because you kind of missed that because, as you had mentioned, King was more like neutral, friendly King he by was this starting point. starting to become friend King. Yes. And it was not... <laughs> friend it, King. It was just not as good. Right. right. There wasn't as combative. Yeah. Uh, you know, they weren't as combative at the commentary tables. Now with Paul here, they're going at each other like it's Gorilla and Bobby circa right. 1991. And, you know, it wasn't... You know, puppies Jr. and exactly you know, it, was, it was like fuck you Jr. <laughs> like ECW is way better than WWF. Right. It was so cool, and this continued all the way until the last time Paul Heyman was in the announcer's chair, uh, which was November of two thousand one. And the reason this all came to an end is finally, mercifully, the invasion storyline came to an end, and yeah. Team WWF won at the Survivor Series. Yeah, yeah, no shit. Thank God that ended. I know, it was seriously, awful. it was yeah. awful. And the condition was that Paul Heyman would be fired. I think it was. Yeah, I, it was just a kayfabe reason to yeah, write him off. And, exactly. And it didn't make sense for him to be there after the invasion, unfortunately, right. even though he was great. Right. And so Vince basically comes out on that Raw, and he's like, you're fired! And then he's like, here's your replacement, Jerry the King Lawler, and the everyone's King, all happy. Proud King music plays. Yep. And I again, I think King was good for a little bit after that, but it, this is where they started to go downhill. Like, O2. And maybe it was because Paul was so good that it was hard to... You know, it's a tough act to follow, Quinn. Right. It was like we had gotten accustomed to how Paul was, and then King came in, and he just, you know, he's King again, right? He's neutral King, uh, yeah. JR's friend, and all this shit. <laughs> and you're just kind of like, well, you know, it was it was kind of fun having this other thing for a while, right. you know? I love the send-off. I don't know if you remember this, Quinn, and if I'll cut in a clip of JR doing it because it's funny. Yeah. As Paul's like freaking out, leaving the ring, about to to be like he's already been fired, right? Yeah, he runs over to the announce desk and tries to attack Jr. And you just see Jr. punching him on the back and going, <laughs> and it's just really funny. Like, what a fitting way to send yeah, him off. It right? was good. <laughs> And then King laughs and points at him as yeah. he's coming down the aisle. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you know right? how like, King does. Like literally, the like squat down and like. <laughs> now I must say, even though like, you know, we didn't realize that it would suck, kind of having King back or whatever. 
At Listen the time, to Quinn admitting it. But at the time, it was like, yeah, fuck yeah, King's back. Right, right, like, right. like even you back then I was were happy like, about yeah, it. you were like, yeah. Right. But uh, I'm sad now because, man, yeah. I could have taken another year or two of those right. two at the desk. It was really great. It was excellent. Paul, Paul Heyman was awesome. I want to say the only other times that really Paul ever popped up on commentary, I think he was like on the new ECW for a he second was. or something. Like maybe, you know, just occasionally. Yeah. And he uh, he wasn't the color man at One Night Stand, right? No. Joey and Mick Foley did color at One Night Stand? I don't even. I, I, I no, think well, so. On One Night Stand, no, Paul was never on commentary. Well, he wasn't, right? He, he, it was Joey he, and Mick. He opened the show. That's and, what and it was. introduced everything. You are the regular we're here. You know, and they, they, they gave him the, the old school promo. headset to act like he was like running it. Well, maybe he really was. I don't know it. if he really was or not, but they, sure you know, he had was. papers in his hand, which, <laughs> so right. he looks like the old Paul. Like, <laughs> right. okay, what match do we have? The again? mad scientist yeah. version of him, basically, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Quinn. That brings us to ranking time here. I'm going to do a quick rundown of the top ten again, so mm-hmm. we can see where we're going to start this off. Number one, Tony Schiavone. Number two, Lance Russell. Number three, Joey Styles. Four, Jerry Lawler. Five, Mauro Ranallo. Six, Mike Tenay. Seven, Bob Cottle. Eight, Michael Cole, nine, Sean Mooney, and ten, Jim Cornette. Quinn, where are you thinking? I mean, Jesse Ventura is one of the most notable, renowned commentators of all time. Where do we start him? I want to start him at King and work his way up. <laughs> all right, so King is number four. So you unanimously with me then would agree yeah. that Jesse Ventura, without any debate, is better than Morrow, yep. Tanay, Caudle, Cole, Mooney, Definitely, and Cornette. Yeah. Okay. I think he's better than King. I, I want to hear you. I think he's better your... than King too, but I I think it's just fair because they're kind of like they're kind of like the same thing yeah. in, a, in a sense. They're not they're not the same, but you know what I mean. Like they're the same job. They're the same in the sense that you can buy a steak at a fancy restaurant, or you could buy one like at a really shitty like outback. I know you want to make your quips, but I mean, they're the, I want to <laughs> say they're the same as far as you know. Like <laughs> you just dressed me down. Just their role in the in the announce booth. Let's put it that way. Okay. That they're the same as, as their role. Well, let's let's compare some things here, right? Yep. Jesse Ventura, I think, is more charismatic, but King is charismatic. King is very charismatic, but I actually. think Jesse Ventura is a little more. A little more so. Yeah. Whereas, here's the thing. It's, I think they're a different kind of charismatic. Jesse's very charismatic about his, like, I call it, like, I see it thing. He puts himself over a lot, where, too. Where King is more, like, I'm just as big of a heel as I possibly can, like old school and yeah, classic King. And I antagonize Jr. and call him fat and dumb and and make fun of Vince too. And his toupee. Yeah, exactly. And then there's neutral King, but you know, not as good. good. Uh, Who do you think has the better voice? I think it's Ventura, but I think think it's Ventura also. Yeah. I don't think King's voice is bad. Actually. I really like King will turn it on and off. I don't know how else to say it. He'll he'll be like that high pitched. I'm a little boy and, and puppies. Jr. Yeah. But then he'll be like serious voice. Like that. It's like oh my god, he's dead. And like you know <laughs> you that, that line. Yeah, I know. I, it's one of King's best calls ever. That's like, it. He's dead. <laughs> that's it. King. You know has had a lot of good calls. I have to give it to King. I don't know if we can say. Well, Jesse has had a lot of great calls too. I don't know. I, I want to say King has probably had more. I don't know. I mean, I, 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 just because King's been around longer, that's all. Unfortunately, I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but Jesse was just so 
damn entertaining. I would say Jesse had more important calls than King. Jesse, yeah. And then they both did all the big pay-per-views. Yep. Right? They were both on weekly syndicated shows. Yep. They were both on, uh, well, Jesse didn't get to do like a Raw or something, but King was on Raw. Jesse was on all the Saturday Night's main events. I would say in the calls department, I think Jesse edges him and only because he does quit. There's one very um, particular call that he gives and I get goosebumps every time I see it and I think I mentioned it earlier today. It's the, this is the greatest match I've ever seen in the middle, in the middle of the steamboat. Oh, I yeah. like I literally like always get taken aback because it's like it's just that the timing of it is so fucking perfect. It's like when they're like fast count, like quick oh, yeah. doing things to each other. And I'm just like, that is what you fucking say, like in the middle of this. Yeah, no, like, he, he, you're right, Quinn. It was like it, it was like Jesse knew at that point in that match that they were watching history. I think that's fair. And it was perfectly like said. It was just so well said. I think Jesse is a great big moment type of guy. King's good too, but I think Jesse for the big moments, like Hogan Andre, yep. to have Jesse there. And Jesse, the other thing is Jesse recognizes the big moments. He doesn't like fake that like oh, this no. Dino Bravo match is like right. the biggest thing ever. It's not like how Shivani is. It's like the greatest moment in the history of our sport <laughs> for like everything that happens. Yeah. I think it's safe to put Ventura above King. I mean, King's aim was to be funny in most of his early yeah, heel work. Yeah, that's true. Jesse's was not. Uh, he would be funny sometimes, right. but he was really there to add legitimacy and call it like a sport. Right. It, he, it was a totally different thing, but I, I think in their respective um, roles I, yeah. of what they were trying to accomplish, I think Jesse did it better. I think so, too, and I think we should at least for, for right now, we'll put him above King. We'll see where else you know he'll fall, but yeah. I think he should be above King Quinn. Okay, I He's agree. just an overall better announcer. That's true. Now, we're, now, the top three are three play-by-play guys. Right. So, you know, Shivani, Russell, and Styles. Mm-hmm. Jesse Ventura now is the highest ranking color man. And he did do, for the record, a little bit of play-by-play here and there. Uh, WrestleMania 2 with the shitty mic. Yep. Uh, a few oh, other God, things. Yeah. Remember how... <laughs> <laughs> but is there a case to be made that overall Jesse Ventura is a better wrestling announcer than Joey Styles? Lance Russell or perhaps Tony Schiavone? I think better than Joey Styles. You do? Okay, why do you think that? I just think Jesse's more profound. I I don't know how else to say it. More prominent. Yeah, it's it's just it's more he's more important to the history of the business and stuff like that. I I think he's a kind of guy that Joey would want to emulate, not the other way around. Well, that's true. You know, do you think that Jesse Ventura has one of the longest lasting legacies as far as a color commentator is concerned? He does. Anyway, he, he's very influential. Yeah. in in the business of wrestling announcing, he really is, isn't he? I. I think he's a guy that Corey Graves, you know, just as a modern day guy. Yeah. That he's a guy that Corey Graves tries to emulate more than, say, King or whatever. I would think so. Or Joey Styles. Like, who well, the hell's trying to imitate Joey Styles? No. Style? And, then, and I mean, we said that was kind of like, yeah, we said that that was actually a credit in his favor. Yeah. Is that he was so unique. He is unique. Like, but that, Jesse that Ventura, was something, you know? Jesse Ventura, despite not being the first heel announcer, as I mentioned, was still groundbreaking the way he did yeah. it. He was the biggest, most boisterous announcer of his time. Yeah. In WWF anyway, but, but uh, in a lot of places. It's that commitment to certain wrestlers that... Um, His consistency. Consistency and commitment to, like, backing them or respecting them, whether they be heel or face, that just, I always thought was just, like... That was his ace in the hole. That was his unique thing. That's one of them. I mean, I also just thought, again, with the legitimacy, Yeah, he no, but really what, did have legitimacy. What I'm saying is I think those are one in the same. 
Yeah. I think that's like what makes him legitimate is his consistency. He treated it like it was athletic competition, right. which I loved. And he did it for every match. He treated every match. Not that he said every match was important, yeah. but he treated every match with respect for the most part. Yeah. He treated it like it was a contest and it was the most important thing to those competitors in the ring. Yep. You know, and you know, no discredit to Joey Styles. He did much of the same as well. And he had a great mix of, uh, you know, respect and irreverence. Joey yeah. Styles did. Joey had his, um, I want to almost say smart esque quips about, you yeah. know, some of the, some of the guys in the ring. No, it's, it's not the same like uniform respect that, um, Jesse, the body would have. I would agree there. So do we put Jesse Ventura above Joey then? I think so. For overall announcer, holistic approach, I think scientific. The, I honestly think the thing that really pushes him above is the just the historical factor behind him and how influential he is. I think that's like what he brings to the table that's far and above Joey Styles. There's that, and there's also just his overall personality. I mean, they're both unique. Jesse was very unique, though, and uh, unimitatable. I mean, you yeah. can there will never be another Jesse Ventura as an announcer. No, never. Never. But that he's still an influence, though. Oh, huge! Yeah, huge and, influence. Yes, yeah, that's and I think that's what can push him. That's going to take him really far. Okay, will it take him above Lance Russell? Though I think it will too. Whoa! And I think the reverence for Russell is amongst. Oh, come on! The again, the problem is Memphis only. That you can't Did WCW. I also, know, though. but I mean, like, it's not as much. Come on, Joe! Like, you can't say the scope of the, of the influence is even. <laughs> anywhere close like i can't but i will say this i will say that ventura declined in wcw russell never declined fair enough but russell also was kind of doing the same fucking thing over and over so was ventura like but 40 worse. years yeah like, i know but lance russell is so good i don't know what he's great i'm not saying he's bad i just i think when you line these two up it's it's you have to look at just the fact that most fans probably encounter jesse ventura's you know, announcing like more than Lance Russell. And that's, that's kind of the point. Like, and it's part of it. I mean, you can be bad and also encounter that many fans and people will say, well, he was horrible. Like, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) like my God, I'm like, like it can go both ways. That's true. You know what I mean? Um, that's fair. Now, folks, you know, as we get to the top of the list here, you have to bear in mind that we're dealing with some very, very big names. I mean, Lance Russell, Jesse Ventura, Tony Schiavone. So the criteria has to get more and more specific in order to be able to make a decision. Here's here's another it thing. It can't just be your favorite. Yeah, but here's another thing with that whole, like, scope of influence thing. Yeah. Jesse the Body called the highest, most seen thing ever on national television that was a wrestling thing. You're referring, of course, to Hogan Andre from the main event. How can there be two Hebners? I mean, all these... One tall- headbutt, a second headbutt. One headbutt, a second headbutt. Like, we remember that. The Lions, yeah. The know, Lions. And probably a lot of people remember. That's one of the most iconic things, period. But that he called Andre versus Hogan at WrestleMania 3. He did. But that in itself is not enough, is it, to elevate him not, above? Not the moment itself. Because then no one could touch but, that no, except but, Gorilla. But the call that was added to it. The call that was added to it could have been shitty and unmemorable. Like, but it wasn't. He seized the moment and became... It, it was etched in stone as like this is a call that people will always remember for the rest of their lives. But and so it, many people will remember that. But don't you think that the moment itself was so memorable that any call would be attached to it indefinitely? I don't think so. I think you could have attached Johnny V to that and it 
people would be like, oh man, remember that? Oh, too bad Johnny V was calling it. That sucks. Well, it's hard to say, but you might like, be right about that. You know that. what I mean? Well, if he's above Lance Russell, then he's above Tony Schiavone. I think he could be. I, I think it's possible. It's the only I, way I, I think can um can Shivani called enough big things that he might be a viable, uh, a true fight with with Jeff. See, I don't even want Shivani above Russell to begin with, but I I'm, I think he's can't above Russell. I, I don't. Can, I can't even like no. But like, this no, is a- Shivani called the fucking Hogan heel turn. Like he's ridiculously more recognizable than Lance Russell. <laughs> it's it's not even it's not even a competition. But we're not ranking them anymore. That is set no. I know. Stone. I know that. I know. Yeah. I know by it. Yeah. Russell and Shivani are play-by-play men. It's true. But there is nothing in this scientific experiment prohibiting or precluding us from putting a color man above play-by-play men. As good as they might be. I think it's unfair to handicap Jesse just be like flat out, oh, he's not better than Shivani or Russell because he's a color guy. That's that's bullshit. It is bullshit. Jesse Ventura did a lot to get wrestling matches over. He did. He did a lot to add to them, to flavor them, to you know, color them. You know what I think is is a um a good indicator of how well Jesse was doing in his commentating career. It happened right in the center of his announcing. Remember when he came to ref at SummerSlam and how incredibly over he was? And oh, this God, was yeah. and, and that was purely based on commentary. He hadn't wrestled in you know four years regularly or in yeah. four years. Yeah. No. No fan especially at that point there had been a lot of new fans introduced to the business by that point right because that was the boom right and everyone knew who the fuck he was and everyone was like what's gonna happen when jesse he hates hulk hogan on commentary like what's gonna happen when he's the rap man he called all these big angles this, this was that seeing him in there and seeing how like how anticipated and how big of a deal it was kind of was such it was such a strong like indicator of how well he was doing by that point. He was incredible, Quinn. Yeah. And the, the commentary took a big hit when he left in 1990 it also. Did. I mean, Ronnie really Piper. Did. All the people that replaced him on Superstar sucked. <laughs> like, until King was the first adequate yes. replacement. Well, Kurt, no, Kurt Hennig wasn't very good. I know Kurt some Hennig people... Kurt suck balls. I'm watching these. He sucks. He sucks. Like, he's not very he's good. He's an imitation of Bobby Heenan. Yeah, poor and, man's uh, poor... imitation. Yeah, you're right, though, because Superstars was still the A show, right? Piper was, like, just a, a wacko. He wasn't good in 1991. Like, savage, kind of just uh, there. I don't know anymore. Why yeah. can't I wrestle? Yeah. And then he Honky Tonk Man. That was only a, t- a couple times, like Christmas episodes. No, it was... He would, it was, like, for, like, six weeks at the end of 90. Six weeks too long. Yeah. And then, yeah, Savage and Piper. Yeah. At the same time, sometimes. What the hell was that? I don't You're know. right. They something was lost when it, Ventura left the table. It didn't. It didn't recover. And it didn't recover all the way. But it didn't recover enough until King came in on, on Superstars. Yeah, yeah. On pay per view, Bobby stepped it up mightily. There's a reason they kept King around all those years because when he came in, it was the closest thing they had to for that. Besides Bobby, yes. yes. Besides Bobby, but Bobby but, was always Bobby. But I'm talking just on Superstars. Yeah, alone. that's all. I'm I'm ready to do it because I think that Jesse Ventura is one of the best yeah. voices to hear on a broadcast. And for I don't think it's disrespect ever. to Shivani because it's not. I think Shivani is very very good and he's very iconic and respectful. It's just, jeez, I mean, like 
It's Jeff, Jesse Ventura. Jesse Ventura is one of the best announcers of all time. I've and always thought just, that anyway. He had all the moments, you know. He had. He has the resume. Yeah. He has the professionalism. Yeah. He knows what to get over. When you get in this rarefied air, it stops being about like the fundamentals. It's like all these guys are yeah, great all at these the fundamentals. Guys, it becomes like, okay, what the fuck did they call and how good was the call? We're getting, like, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. Shivani, great calls. One of the best. But maybe it's it, it it's simply just going to come down to not... An, and when Jesse I say Ventura. not when I say not enough, that's kind of almost insulting to Giovanni because there was tons of them. Oh yeah, but it was like great it was just Jesse. It was just these big moments, like these moments that were just they're unforgettable. All right, the fact that we're talking about one headbutt, another headbutt, that is such a minute. Like, I know, but we remember it. Thing, but I just it never goes away. All right, for uh, for number one now, Jesse Ventura. Yep. You'll be happy to hear that that knocks Jim Cornette down. Good. Off the top ten. Enough. Get him out of here. So from him, a very fat man, to Paul Heyman, Quinn, where do we start Paul Heyman? Um, I am thinking, you want to know where I'm thinking? Yeah, what do you think? I think he's better than Cornette, mm-hmm. better than Mooney, better than Cole? I think he's better than Cole. They do different functions. Is he better than Bob Cottle? I mean, he wasn't have a long career as an announcer, Quinn. Yeah. we got to be fair here. Let's, I don't think yeah. he can go above Bob Cottle. Well, let's talk about that. I You think he's better than Cole? Cole's 20-year of consistency? Cole has <laughs> been so diluted. I know. It, he could be really good, but if, if he's they not... they didn't micromanage the right, him. He's not, he doesn't work on the right night of the week. You yeah. know, I mean, it's just... There's a lot of problems I with Cole. I feel bad for Michael Cole because he really is a true professional. That's fair, but I mean, you know Cole what I mean? Heyman was better than his entire run, even if you're still counting the days that he's still running. Yeah. In one fucking show, WrestleMania 17, than, Unfortunately. than Michael Cole ever was in his entire life. Michael Cole, like, yeah, Michael Cole's at his best is pleasant to listen to. At his best, at his which best, is not now. Yeah, yeah. It's not on Raw now. Yeah. Is pleasant to listen to and a little engaging and fun, but he's not a guy I've ever wanted to hear call a WrestleMania. Like, ever. Let me ask you something. Are you ever excited to see Michael Cole on a program ever, no. even when he was like at his best, were you no. ever like, man, well, I'm, I'm so excited to see Michael Cole tonight? No, not really. I mean, when he even was when on, he was at his prime on SmackDown with Taz, I liked him, but you I weren't like, man, I got to watch this show because the commentary is really good. You never no, thought that, never that, but even Cole calling a WrestleMania now, like we're gonna thankfully not have to hear him because we're going to WrestleMania. Yeah, wow, but, that's going to be uh, a, a big a change, change right? of pace right. going to that Mania. Because yeah. for all these years, Quinn, we've been hearing Cole. The only time I'm glad when it's Cole is when it's not Byron. Yeah. But that's not saying much. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But Bob Cottle, however, I, here's where we're in a problem because we somehow shoved Tanae above Cottle, which is horseshit now that I, I look back on I disagree. think Cottle! I think Tanae is better. He is Parmesan cheese. <laughs> I just think it's it's simply because of like that newness factor, that stuff, that new stuff he brought to the industry. Which, yeah. That was really key. Yeah, he did. And Paul Heyman ate all the cheese. So is Paul Heyman better than Bob Cottle? Yeah. I, it, he's more animated. It, there's oh, more, come on he's now. more. He's more entertaining. Bob Cottle could be very entertaining, especially in Smoky Mountain. Smoky Mountain, yes. He's, he's, he's fun. He's so but, good. That's also a consequence of being boring Bob Cottle. They no! like No, but I'm saying they use the fact that, that was the whole fish out of water thing that I'm talking about. Yeah. The whole like they it's not that he changed, it's that they put him somewhere that was like hostile to what he was. Right. Like you know what I mean? Like yeah. they're just using what he is, which is like this, you know, vanilla very straight laced. Yeah, announcer, you know, like nothing special. Whereas Heyman 
he was so fucking good at like what he did. He knew what was going on. He put everything over. He did, but he put it over. So in, 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 yeah, but he put it over in such an entertaining, unique way. I can't see anybody ever being like how Paul was on the mic. He's got that unique. He's one of the best, factor. but he's not. like how like Joey Styles had it. Yes. It was like he was so unique, and that's what really elevated him a lot. Paul was just something else. But Paul doesn't have the career, the resume. He does to even climb that high. He does, despite his abilities, which are fantastic. I think honestly, where he would fall yeah. is above above Tanay, but below Morrow. You think he's above today? Yes. Okay. Why? Because I'm fine with I think it. They're because both, I think they're both unique. But I think that Paul's uniqueness is more palatable. I want to say it's more you can digest it and and really be entertained by it. I'm not going to make any fat jokes. I'm just saying. Paul, however, I don't know if I can. Now that I think about it, putting him above today sounds good in theory. But Paul's not wasn't that regular of an announcer. I mean, he was great when he was, but he wasn't. But you got on Cornette's case for this. He caught it at just the right time is what I'm going to say about Paul. I think there's a there's a bit of luck in there, like timing wise, timing wise, 2001 caught. He caught a very perfect, like like a sweet spot, like right before it got bad and right after he could ride the wave of it being good. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Like right in between. And Surprised he that wave supported his weight. And he left right after the invasion, which was over, which was like just when like everything fell apart. Left a dent in that chair he was sitting in. I think, no, but you're right, Quinn. Yeah, in that, all seriousness. It's like, it's like people were experiencing the invasion, but they hadn't like, it hadn't been over for them to be like, man, we got fucked over. And this <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It yeah. was just like, and everyone was enjoying the commentary. That was one highlight it during was, the shitty invasion. Like I like, said, Jr. and King got stale by then. Yeah. I see. I don't think King and Jr. could have called the invasion. No. I think it was perfect. It was great with Payman. I think on ability alone, I think Payman's a lot better than a lot of people on this list. Like as a color man, he's better than King. I think. But sometimes. I think what, what hurts but him he, is the he doesn't have the longevity. I really don't want to put him above Bob Cottle. I really don't think Cottle has the longevity. Tanae, unfortunately, is locked above Caudill. Can so I ask you a serious what? question? Do people really, the majority, even of, like, retro fans, like, yes. are the true majority of retro fans, like, do they even know who Bob Cottle is? I think is? a lot of them do. I know Tom Bryant does. He, yeah, he has Cottle as number I'm saying, one, like, I think. The vast majority of people that, you know, go on the WWE Network and enjoy old Nitros and old Raws and stuff, like, I think that's the kind of footage that the common, but like enjoy the old school stuff but don't dig into everything kind of thing yeah but like, i think a lot of people in that same vein think of paul Heyman as the ecw guy not a commentator that's true i don't want to put him above bob Cottle because bob Cottle was a professional announcer for a very long time but can he be a, can he be below cheese breath i mean paul <sighs> yes paul Heyman. yes because the reason you have Cornette at the very bottom of the list yeah. is because he didn't do it often, even though he did it more than you're you know, making it out to be. Paul Heyman really didn't do it more than Cornette, I don't That's think. That's fair. And I think that Heyman's better than Mooney and Cole, even. Would definitely. I will put without, him above that. Without question. I can't put him above Bob Cottle. Will not do it. Fine. Okay, I'll, I'm standing I'll, I'll go firm. with you. I'll go with you. I'm surprised this is where Paul is, honestly. Yeah, but I think it's a fair spot for him. Honestly, I don't because he just, was so fucking good. That's I, I think yes. that's the, I think that's what's so hard about it. But that's one of the things he's so fucking good, and that's what's carrying him above Michael Cole and Sean Mooney. Whereas normally he'd probably be right above Cornette. 
yeah. because of his lack of doing it all the time. You know, it was like a full, full-time announcer. Do you know what I'm but, saying? Yeah, it's like that thing in Blade Runner, the uh, the brightest star burns out the quickest kind of deal. If that works for you, yes. Yeah, but it's it's kind of what's going on here, right? It's like he was so good, but it was so short. Right. And it's like so remembered. And now right? he's so fat. Will you? <laughs> I just don't understand this like fat Thing Have him. you looked at him recently? I, I don't care. I, he's always been I mean, I somewhat care, heavy. But I, mean, I just don't notice it, I guess. I, uh, he's so large. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> okay, anyway, anyway. So I think that his final... I think, I think there'll be some people upset about... How low he is? Yes, I did. No way. Come on. I, I don't think, think people so. people will be mad. But you know what? I can... I can understand it. You smell what I'm cooking, right? Right. Good, because Heyman's going to eat it soon. All right. So why don't we do our updated Royal Rankings? This is now for week number six. We have, Quinn, a brand new list almost, it feels like. At number one, Jesse Ventura. Wow. Number one, the greatest commentator, greatest commentator ever. Scientifically yeah. ranked. Number two, Tony Skiavone. <laughs> number three, <laughs> Lance Russell. I'm all right with yeah, that, I guess. Yeah, I'm Still fine a good it. spot, yeah, right? Yeah. I, like, how can you be mad about that? I'm not. I'm not. Number four, Joey Styles. Number five, good. Keep pushing him down. Jerry the King Waller. Number six, Mauro Ranallo. Number seven, Mike Tanay, unfortunately. Number eight, <laughs> Bob Caudle. Yep. Number nine, Paul Heyman, I'm a which little, he yeah. will get supersized. Yeah. Number 10, Michael Cole. Number 11, off the top 10, good, Sean yep, Mooney. He doesn't belong on the top 10. <laughs> poor Mooney. No, 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 not poor because he's got all this money coming in for Patreon. And number 12, Jim Cornette. That is Royal Rankings of Announcers, week number six. Let us know yours on Twitter or email us or, of course, join the group. But, Quinn, when we come back, we are going all the way back in the past. That is coming up right after this. I'm not into stats. I'm not a numbers guy. Football is about emotion. You can measure a player's size. Time how fast he runs the Ford. But you can't measure his passion, his desire, how bad he wants to play. There's only one stat that matters in the XFL. How much of your heart did you leave on that field? The XFL. Coming this February. It's real football. And welcome back, wrestling fans, to our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Thanks for being with us here for episode number 116. And before we go way back in the past to review something, I just want to remind you guys out there, Quinn, did you know this? There are other wrestling podcasts out there. Wow, they exist? Yeah, did you know that? It's amazing. We're not the only one. So there's a whole world of podcasts, you say? Oh, there are. And we're going to give you three podcasts from that world. None of them are hosted by Conrad Thompson. So that's, there's well, that's that. good. No blazers involved yeah. here. No mortgages. Right. But you can check out first the wrestling podcast about nothing, WPIN. It is hosted by two guys that have actually worked in the wrestling business. One of them, Quinn, is a independent wrestling referee that is currently on an extended hiatus. But I you mean he's retired. Yeah, he's retired. Yeah. And his name is Mean Mike Crockett. He is the meanest of the daddies. The biggest of the mics. Yes, and the most retired of the referees. <laughs> he is joined. Mean Mike Crockett is joined each and every week by an actual wrestler who actually wrestles in Ring of Honor. He is one half of the Bouncers, Quinn. It is the kingpin, Brian Malonis. Bouncer, Wine City Whale. That's right, the that, Wine City Whaler. Bouncer to the front of it. Yes. The it's, like, it's like Bushwhacker Luke, you know? Right, Bouncer, Wine City Whaler. Yeah. These guys have a cool show because not only are they people that have worked in the wrestling business, unlike us, you know, we're members of the wrestling media, of course. Press. Yeah, the press. We get our press passes. <laughs> These guys bring their unique perspective 
perspective as people that have worked in the business but also are fans of the old school wrestling. They sometimes talk a little retro, sometimes a little current, reflections on the business. Great show. Check it out. The Wrestling Podcast About Nothing. And also, make sure you don't miss the critics' favorite, Quinn. All the critics are talking about it. Glowing reviews, high praise. Us Magazine gives it four out of four stars. Wow, that's a lot of stars. Yeah. And it is called Greetings from Allentown, GF Allentown, Quinn. It's hosted by one very lonely wrestling fan. Yep, our little brother, Petey. Yeah, little baby Petey Winston. He greets us from Allentown each and every week. And yeah, he, he lives there, you know. <laughs> what he does is he reviews a wrestling show, but he does it in such a way that, yeah, you'll you'll know what's going on in the wrestling, but yeah. he kind of talks like this and gives you stories and anecdotes and sometimes car trips with yeah. his wife. <laughs> Really quirky show. Medicating a cat. Yeah. (laughs) Really quirky show, but check it out. Great retro wrestling podcast. It's called Greetings from Allentown, GF Allentown. And then, of course, if you like your retro wrestling with a side of overalls. You can, oh, not grits, eh? No. Well, there's grits, too, of course. Oh, okay. Well, and, I, I just got to make sure the grits are there, because why would I go down south for yeah, anything else? <laughs> country fried steak, whatever yeah, that I like stuff that. is. Very oh. good. Biscuit. Chili's country fried steak. Bits- Very good. Ugh. Biscuits <laughs> and gravy. If you like your biscuits and gravy. I like that, too. <laughs> check out Bookin' the Territory. So I'm going to like this show. All, those, oh, yeah. all that great food. Yeah, alone. all that great food. How do they feed it to me through my ears? Uh, it's really great. It's soul food for your uh, retro wrestling enjoyment. It is uh, hosted by Mike Mills and his crew, and they're the Unprofessional Wrestling Podcast. And what they do is they go south of the Mason-Dixon line, they go down to Smoky Mountain, they go down to the NWA, and they review it in their own very classy, unprofessional style. It is booking the territory. So check out our three friends of the show, the Wrestling Podcast about nothing, G.F. Allentown, and booking the territory. But Quinn, we are going way back here, and this is, um, as we review something, this was a kind of a conglomerative pick. Right, because yes. I've been banging down the door of the offices, you know, of OVP headquarters HQ over there, yeah, yeah. to try to review something from the '60s. Yeah, wrestling yeah. existed then, believe it or well, not. I can't believe it. I can't believe it was even, you know, on video. Right, videotape. And Quinn, you suggested this one here. This is WWW. Yes, three W's. Yes, WWWF Heavyweight Wrestling. They hadn't simplified it to just WF. Right. <laughs> January twenty seventh. 1966. Yes. Now, would you like to elaborate the history of this show since this is the history of this show? Yes. (laughs) So basically, when Capital Wrestling Corporation, before it even became the World Wrestling Federation in name at all, in the 50s, the show started in 1956. Right. Under Vincent J. McMahon. This was before they even had a title. Yeah, they were just strictly, you know, a wrestling promotion. You know, I think an NWA member. They promoted a show called Heavyweight Wrestling from Washington, and it obviously took place in Washington D.C., which Capital, the Capital Wrestling Corporation. What, what did they call this place in the in there? The, the Capital, Capital Arena. The Capital Arena. Yep, in Washington like the ECW D.C. Arena for them, <laughs> basically. Yeah. And it was a weekly television show that aired all the way until the summer of 1970. It was then replaced in Pennsylvania, Hamburg, and Allentown. Mm-hmm. With WWWF Championship Wrestling. Which you might know what that is. Right. And that grew into, in 1996, WWF Superstars. So yep. we have some rich history here. And we've gone and reviewed, I think, every single you know point of this show other than this. Yeah, we haven't ever done a heavyweight wrestling before. This is uncharted territory. It is. Now, in 1966, in 
WWF to set the stage here. The champion was Bruno San Martino and relatively early into his almost eight year run. Yep. This is only 66. He won the belt in 63. Was Vietnam going on? John yes. Kennedy was dead. Who the hell is John F. Kennedy? This where, is, where are we in the history of, of the world? Well, this is during yeah, the Vietnam War is going on. Uh, the Soviet Union is very much the Soviet Union. Yep. We all love it. And, well, they were the Soviet Union for most of wrestling history. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, Vincent J. McMahon still very much the promoter. In fact, young Vincent K. McMahon, who was probably 19, 18, 19 years old Jeez. at this point, not even, eh, maybe 20. He wasn't even in the picture at this point in wrestling. He hadn't, wow. he hadn't even reconciled or really gotten close to his dad at this point. A world without Vince Jr. That, <laughs> amazing, it, right? It's, it's, this is amazing, actually, yeah. And the WWF had been in NWA territory until 1963 when they broke away. Yep, so we're post the break. Post the break here. And this is what they have going on here. It's heavyweight wrestling Quinn from Washington. January the 27th, 1966. So first of all, I feel like I should be smoking a cigar and asking a small child, want to watch the fights? Like, <laughs> like, that's like what this show feels oh, like. Oh, man, it very much feels like older cigar chomping men. You know, yep. like, oh, let's watch the fights that Gertrude. Yeah. So a superimposed graphic welcomes us, Quinn. It's all faded. I wouldn't be surprised if it was just a piece of paper that they like <laughs> silk screened over the camera. Seriously. It's like very faded. It, this is early cryo, I think. I don't if think if that cryon exists. Yeah, it might not, actually. Yeah. So announcer Ray Morgan, who's got a crew cut, glasses, and a suit. He runs down tonight's card. Hi there again, fans. Ray Morgan welcoming you to professional wrestling from the National Arena in the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. He's sitting at, like, a shitty table with, like, an old, tiny TV newsman kind of look, and he's got, like, a paper coffee cup next it's, to him. Like, it's very Cronkite-esque, isn't yeah. it? And you know he's smoking cigarettes oh, while he's doing yeah, this. Bro- like, and I don't know if there's coffee in that cup either, I mean, Quinn. The Surgeon General's warning had, like, just come out. It was, like, a new warning. <laughs> yeah, and they still had TV commercials for cigarettes until yeah. the early 70s. Come to where the flavor is. Come to Marlboro Country. One thing about Ray Morgan before we continue here, just so you guys know, Ray Morgan was actually the announcer all the way until 71. His replacement, Quinn? Vince McMahon Jr. <laughs> yes. yes. So this is Vince's predecessor. predecessor. Yeah, this is the guy before Vince. So we've finally done it. We've gone before, before Vince. Vince. Yep. He was the direct uh, predecessor to Vincent K. McMahon. Did the Ray announcer. even have a predecessor? Is he? I mean, I guess he's been there since the company I think like, he was there the split whole time. off or whatever. I, yeah. I think he was always yeah. the announcer. So Ray runs down some of the action tonight, including Bruno San Martino's cousin in an Australian tag team match. I, I guess they pulled another guy out of his yard. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Why does like, Larry never talk about Bruno's cousin being yeah. in the yard? So we get our first of uh, one or two blank parts of video where it's a black picture, but we just hear the loud male crowd yelling. Yeah, I assume this was a commercial break I or something. So. Yeah. I guess this tape is a uh, master reel. It's a master reel that was sent out to the uh, local affiliates. I'm guessing. In, I, the, in the Washington area, area right? or in New York, obviously. I think they went up to Connecticut back so. then, too. But, um, yeah, so I'm just hearing people yell shit. It's kind of interesting, and yeah. I, I swear I heard someone just yell Ronald Reagan, <laughs> which he was an actor. He was an actor at the right. time. By the way, this is Quinn in black and white, not color. Yeah, Michael Hayes hadn't invented color and music yet. In <laughs> Remember how he invented everything? Yeah, he was a pioneer, obviously. Yeah. We're back with our ring announcer, Smiling Sam Mason, and he says that promoter Vince McMahon has come up with yet another exciting star-studded card for next week. Now, this Vince McMahon, again, 
not Jay. Vince McMahon Jr. This right. is Vince McMahon Sr. as yep. a, uh, a spry, I don't know, 40. Like, oh, he's got to be old. Well, I don't know. How old he was? 40, maybe 50, 50. Maybe yeah, 50 that's, something. That's young for him. It is young for him. Smiling Sam says that with the crowd's kind permission, he'll announce the entire card. I love card. that, by the yeah. way. I love that he asked their, like, kind permission. <laughs> what if they said no? And with your kind permission, I will take this opportunity to announce the entire card. We're going to have Pete Sanchez versus Arnold Scola next week. We're going to have Angelo Savaldi versus the Puerto Rican champion Miguel Perez, as he says. Is there a belt for that? Uh, I don't I believe not. The Puerto Rican champion Miguel Perez. And I would like to mention that Miguel Perez here is, in fact, Miguel Perez Jr., his uh, son. Oh, Harry Miguel yeah. Perez Jr. Los Perriquas? Yes, this yeah. is his dad. Wow. Uh, Tomas Murin versus Ronnie Etchinson, who is debuting tonight. We'll see him later. Domingo Robles versus Bobby Davis's The Beast. Some lady literally yells, Who? <laughs> after The Beast. I swear that happened. Bobby Davis's The Beast. <laughs> it's real. You know what I liked about this crowd in general? They were kind of rowdy. Oh, like, they were. I mean, they, the alcohol must have been flowing. I did not expect... I thought they'd be more polite because, you know, it's a simpler time. But, but no, it is they, wrestling, Quinn. I mean, Gene wasn't kidding about smoky bars because, I yeah. mean, this is probably the closest WWF is to being in a smoker smoky bar. Seriously, know? rowdy, just probably half drunk, half yep. in the bag. We'll also have Tony Altamore, the pride of Connecticut. That's the pride of Connecticut. <laughs> versus everybody's favorite. Here's a name that we actually know. Johnny Valentine. Yes. And this one was funny. The 385-pound <laughs> Prince Ukea. Yes, I, I believe that's Prince Ikea, yes, right? Curtis Ikea, I think, yeah. under the now, Prince I, name. Now, I always thought he was King Curtis, and I thought his son was the prince. So why was... was Maybe this is Did he 60s. have a dad, too? <laughs> he probably did. And this is he was only a prince at this yeah, point? Yeah, I think so. He's fresh from Honolulu and Japan, by the way. Wow, and he, I, he's, he's the <laughs> prince of both those countries, both I guess. And he's in a handicap match against Jose Garcia and the magnificent Maurice. Who? Who? <laughs> But that's not all. There's also a dark match. And yes, that's what Sam Mason says. A dark match <laughs> starting at 8.30 p.m. The dark match starting at 8.30 p.m. It's Baron Mikel Cicluna and yeah. Do- Dr. Bill Miller versus Antonio Pugliese, which is Bruno's cousin, and Bruno himself. And yes, the Baron was there even back then. Amazing, right? By the way, Dr. Bill Miller, that yes. name sounds like somebody who should be on like ABC News, like giving you like the doctor news report. Seven's on call with Dr. Jay Adlersberg. Jay? Anyway, Quinn, it's time for our two out of three falls Australian tag team match. Team number one is Bruno's cousin, Antonio Pugliese, teaming up with Arnold Skoland to take on Tony Altamont. And Angelo Savaldi. He is announced as being from Parsepani, New Jersey. From Parsepani, New Jersey. So I like to mention here that Golden Boy Arnold Skoland, first of all, proudly from White Plains, but second of all, Quinn, he's wrestling? Yeah, Arnie wrestling is something I have never seen. I don't think like, I have I've either. only seen him have a white towel and, <laughs> sit in you a know, chair. a 70s leisure suit and <laughs> just sit there. Getting and, drunk with Andre, that yeah, type of like, stuff. Yeah. Now we actually hear someone, perhaps Savaldi himself, correcting the ring announcer and saying it's Parsippany. You can hear it if you listen close. <laughs> the ref has a casual white Hanes t-shirt and black pants. He looks 
like a greaser, literally. He really does. Like, and he's the, the only one. None of the other ones look like that. No, they all look like referees. This yeah. guy looks like a greaser. So Ray Morgan does chuckle that uh, Skolan is the only non-Italian here. And uh, apparently Arnie was already the road manager of Bruno that Ray Morgan says. Jeez. 1966 is already managing he's already Bruno? already sitting on a chair. Holy playing shit. Playing Canasta. <laughs> what is Canasta? I've, I don't, never, played I've never played it either. I don't. It's what old people play. Yeah, seriously, that and Bridge. Arnie must be at the end of his rope here. I know, think so. You know what I mean? Right? Like, that's insane to think that <laughs> it's 1966 and Arnie already is he's considered like, down. yeah, he's winding down. <laughs> so when the ref gives some extra long instructions as the heels talk some crap and start shoving. Everyone's just like standing around, like talking and they're in their coats like yeah. for like three minutes and it, the match doesn't even start. Right. And then it like finally just ends in kind of like a scuffle. It's like, no, I'm going to get you there. I'm going to get you insane. Yeah. <laughs> so Arnie and Altamari start off circle to start goes nowhere. They try again to circle as I swear I saw some guy pushing a shopping cart at <laughs> ringside. I'm not kidding. Well, you, uh, well, it, you know, it's it, casual. It's a simpler time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quick slap by Arnie. Open hand per Ray Morgan. He claims that Altamari's feelings are hurt and Arnie with a takedown into an armbar. Altamari back up and Arnie tosses him back down and uh, keeps the armbar on as Savaldi runs in to break it up. But Pugliese evens the odds when the ref is distracted. Still in the armbar here. Lots for, of armbar. Oh, my God. Tons of armbars, arm headlocks. Yeah, like, seri- it's yeah. just nothing really else. You in know. this first fall is brutal. Yeah. Uh, Forum by Altamari breaks it as a lady yells out, He's got something in his trunks! He's got something in his trunks! Yeah, pee-pee. Yeah. Uh, referee's name is Jack Davis, by the way, in case you were oh, wondering. Oh, that's the greaser yeah. James Dean ref. Yeah. <laughs> Altamari with a front face lock. A noogie combination. Yeah, there's a lot of noogies in this match, period. It's like, a very funny match. I, I can't tell if it's like comedy or what. Or if that's like, normal yeah. for the time. I felt like a lot of their wrestling style was like 80s midgets. Yeah. Like, that's like what it felt like. And you'll see, there's some more oh, of it. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Savaldi keeps running in to be annoying, so Pugliese comes out and pulls Altamari off of Arnie, and the ref actually thought they tagged, so he allows it. Ray Morgan reminds us this is an Australian tag team match as Pugliese grabs a side headlock on Altamori. As I realize, Quinn, there's enough Italians in this match to pull off the Latanza heist. I know, seriously. <laughs> it's like, I almost think like, Jimmy! Yeah. I mean, like, it's the wall. Jimmy! Yeah. <laughs> Some guy yells out, you can't even speak English. Simpler time. <laughs> I, I mean, people just... Say what's on no their mind, I guess. Here, I don't right? know. <laughs> Pugliese with a goofy double arm stretch that the ref counts a pin for. I'm pretty sure Gorilla Monsoon would be bitching about how that's not a well, legal he, pin. I don't even know if he's wrestling yet. I so, don't know what he's doing yeah. at this point. He might. I think he's there, right? In 66? He might be uh, raising children. Like, <laughs> Like, that, Joey, you get out of yeah, here! Exactly. <laughs> we get like forty-five two counts. This ref, by the way, Quinn is amazing. Like he's not fucking around. Oh, no, he's on top of every count. Anytime someone's there to interfere, he's getting up. I mean, it's <sighs> real to him. Damn it, he, he's a serious ref. Yeah. Now, Pugliese does a very awkward spot where he rides Altamori like they're playing horsey. Like even the crowd's like, ride him, ride yeah. him. What am I even watching? I don't like know. people are making horse noises. <laughs> Ray's like he's putting his blinders on. Yeah, yeah, like he's right? just blocking. And they love this shit. This is too. the like, crowd's eating it. This up. is the best part of the match for the fans. The horsey ride? Yeah, the horsey ride. <laughs> Pugliese looks like an extra in a Bronx tale, by the way. Altamori just looks like the Bronx. He's actually the pride of Stamford, Connecticut. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Like, Foreshadowing is he Pete Gass's dad? Like, I. <laughs> Like, seriously. <laughs> Finally, the horsey ride does come to an end, and Altamori tries to fight the ref, who promptly, like, cocks his own fist back. Like, the ref's ready to fight back. I'm telling you, Jack Davis not screwing around. 
get a kick to the dick area by Altamori, and he drags Pugliese to the heel corner. Arnie tries to interfere, but this hero of a ref sends him back. Pugliese fights back, though, landing on his feet off a monkey flip, and then he hits a flying head scissors out of nowhere. It's like something's happening right, all of a sudden. Finally. It's horsey and headlocks <laughs> and sit-downs and all this bullshit. <sighs> yeah, it's good. I should mention that Altamori has sailor tattoos. Uh, well, again, it was a simpler, simpler time. time. The war is like recently. Yeah, over, maybe I he guess. just came from it. Yeah. Pugliese with a snapmare, and then he whacks Savaldi with an elbow when he runs in, kicks both the guys' asses for a minute. Finally, Savaldi is a legal man, gets caught in the face corner. Arnie has a shit eating grin on his face the whole time. Savaldi and Pugliese go at it, but Arnie runs back in again. So the heels double team Bruno's cousin in the corner. Arnie gets the hot tag, who comes in like a house of uh, crap. Like an outhouse. Well, it was a house of fire-ish. Uh, yeah, it wasn't a fire. It was smoldering, think it was enough maybe. fire? No, no, no enough okay. fire. Savoldi accidentally hits Altamori, but they don't fight about it. Back body drop on Arnie gets two. That's right, a two count off a of back body drop. Well, <laughs> I mean, it shouldn't finish anyone off, I think. But, but you know, it, it is the 60s, so we don't know what can finish people off. Perhaps a sunset flip by Arnie, which actually gets the first fall on Altamori. He should have kept him there. Two, three. Altamori calling the top ropes as he tries to come over and help Savoli. Skolan getting Savoli with a reverse full leg Nelson. Yeah, even in the 60s, the face to get the fast count. That count was fast. It was, it was yes. Like, it was almost like, man, uh, somebody like told him, hey, the TV taping yeah, is got- going on for a while. <laughs> you know? The faces beat down the heels in between falls, and we get the official word from Smile and Sam that, Yes, the faces won the first fall. Very proper. Then we clip to Ray telling us, there you have it. Yeah, is that like, funny? <laughs> yeah. There you have it. There's the first fall. We'll, we'll see in a minute. Yep. Like, we'll be back with the next fall in a moment. So we do come back. Uh, second fall. Altamore and Skull and start again. Ray Morgan talks about the possibility of wrestling returning to the Newark Armory. <laughs> I love this, by the right? way. Willie Gilsenberg, who is the promoter and actually the first WWF president. Oh, before Mishima or yes, whatever. before him. He's in the building tonight and he's working on it. He's been talking to the top officials in Newark, like Sharp James. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> they're very like very big details about this. Right? You know, like I don't know why they're telling us these details. But it's very important. Just that Quinn. there's a lot of negotiating He's going trying. on, just so we can get the WWF wrestling in the Newark Armory. It's important, Quinn. I mean, clearly, it, it's got to be there. That's yes. the biggest place around. Really, <laughs> go to a lockup, which Arnie wins. A standing position again. Altamore grabs a choke. Double team in the corner goes awry as Altamore crashes into Savaldi when Arnie moves. I will say this match is telling a story yeah. at the very least. The heels keep bumbling; they can't get it together, and the yeah. faces keep out. They're kind of like them. goofs, yeah. You know, like yeah, and they the, are. And the faces are smart or something. Yes, pretty I mean, much. You got Bruno's cousin. Yeah, that's true. And Arnie. Yeah, and Arnie. The manager of Bruno. Oh, Bruno. The heels gesture to each other as the ref shows Savaldi the tag rope. I love this ref. Altamore and Arnie go at it again. Clean break in the corner. Altamore has been selling his shoulder the whole time after crashing into his partner, which is awesome. Clean break again. It's weird to think that Arnie is the only connection in this ring to anything a current retro, a current retro current retro, yes. would actually know about. That's how old this shit is. You're absolutely yeah, right, like, Quinn. Seriously. Arnie is the connection right here. Yeah. We got a big show, Quinn, coming up at Moose Hall in Trenton on the 31st. I don't even know where that is, and I've been to Trenton a lot in my life. It's probably not there yeah. anymore. <laughs> wrist lock by Altamori, which I guess he knows from a wristwatch, at least. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Savaldi keeps being annoying outside, which is awesome. Pugliese has had enough. He comes all the way around the ring apron, chasing Savaldi into and then out of the ring and then back in. Yeah, like I said, it's midget wrestling galore. Yeah, all the it really bits, is. Rowboats. And- <laughs> yeah. 
got horses and horsey. Yeah. <laughs> this whole time, Ultimori has Arnie in a wrist lock, heel double team, which pisses off the ref. Walloping right forearm, says Ray Morgan by Ultimori. Pugliese gets the tag, but gets shoulder blocked. However, he body grabs, says Ray. Ultimori. Yeah, whatever that means. <laughs> yeah. Everything is a body grabber. Yeah. <laughs> Drapes him in the corner. The ref pulls him off because he's the best ref I've ever seen in my life. You really like this ref, He's huh? awesome. The face is now double team in like comical fashion yeah. with Ultimori selling amazingly like he's a villain in a Three Stooges short. Oh, the paper. Yes, the paper. Why don't you say so? There it is. <laughs> Beal tossed by Pugliese followed by a body slam and then a crocodile clutch I called it a cruiserweight pin. pin. Yeah. Like it was like that kind of thing where he like rolled him up sort of it's, and like sat on you him. flip and- over when flip over him with their legs and yeah. you bridge him into a pin. I never knew that it had a name. I never, Crocodile I Clutch. I wonder if Ray Morgan made that up. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> it's, everything about this seems made up. Well, yeah, it's just like, go with the flow yeah. type of announcing. So anyway, <laughs> Ultimori falls on his face during the ring announcement yeah. while trying to punch the faces. Yeah, yeah. That was, all of this was kind of fun, actually. It really wasn't bad. I mean, it was pretty long. It was like most of the show, yeah. this match. A lot of wrist locks, a lot yeah. of arm bars, stuff like that, but it wasn't bad. Yeah. And then <laughs> the heels raised their arms in victory to a boo from yeah, the crowd which is funny. funny trying to get him straightened away there so we cut back to ray morgan at his desk who simply says it was a game effort by the heels i love that the whole like that's a game effort folks yep. it, he really came off like a newsman kind yes. of thing like and i just it was so <laughs> nice and simple very and, simple like this is real yep. you know now for the record antonio or uh yeah antonio pugliese yeah he's not bruno's cousin he actually was a jobber that I think we encountered once or twice on the early 82s. Really? Tony Parisi. Oh! Remember okay, Tony yeah. Parisi? That's well, him. That's the same guy. Wow. Yep. Now, Quinn, coming down the aisle. Yes, we actually see them the coming entrance. down the aisle. Yeah. Is Bobby Davis with his beast. And beast has like George Steele body hair, maybe even worse. He looks like an Oompa Loompa, or as wrestling fans call them, Taz. <laughs> He is short. Yeah. He is very short. Very His manager short. is like a foot taller than Bobby him. Davis, I swear. yeah. You're right about yeah. that. Ray Morgan says, that certainly isn't a mohair suit, but I'm seeing mohair. That's a terrible pun. Look at that. That certainly isn't a mohair suit, but I haven't seen mohair. That's a terrible pun. Okay. <laughs> he says all of that in one sentence. I like that, you know, they're aware. I, I feel that the people doing this are, you know, almost a little smarter than the general television society i would think so i mean ray morgan is awesome they're kind of a lot of quips and like yeah. not like not trying to like this false front right not talking know? down to the audience like, this, this is just fun it's you just know? fun yeah. yeah you mentioned quinn that bobby davis is much taller than the beast yeah it's weird the small guy is the beast and he's so fucking hairy and you can hear the fans laughing and one says oh god yeah. like like uh, like they're like not taking him seriously i don't think this guy made it no, he I, didn't. I don't. He did not. Because he wrestled in Stampede a lot. Did he? <laughs> yes. Well, Stampede would be the place to go for somebody that didn't make it. You hear here. Smiling Sam introduces us to his opponent, Pete Sanchez, who has Desi Arnaz hair as opposed to his '80s run where he had like Charles Gibson hair. Yeah, <laughs> Pete Sanchez, young edition, with and like he has like a nice sweatshirt, <laughs> yeah, like, like a workout sweatshirt. He has like a sweatshirt that you would see in like that guy that w- was in Breakfast at Tiffany's, like the boyfriend, <laughs> yeah, like right. when he's like hanging out in the apartment, like that kind of sweatshirt. <laughs> yeah, some lady yells out the animal about Beast, which Ray acknowledges. She then says, we know you like Halloween, but not that much. <laughs> the referee Quinn does have an official referee striped shirt on, but like. 
colored pants, so yeah, fuck How them. modern, though? Very. Like, I, I wasn't expecting that for 60s. Very nice, right? Yeah. Ray explains that the Beast doesn't know any English. I swear the Beast is Taz's hairy dad. Like, <laughs> I, they looked way too similar. Yeah, with the loincloth type yeah. attire, like the yep. Tasmaniac. Bobby Davis has a Liberace-style coat on, by the way. Anyway. His haircut looks like Liberace <laughs> in the 80s. It does. Beast runs at Pete to start and attacks on the ropes, followed by a beel toss into a front face lock. Ref's pants are too high. Choking by the Beast, Whitey Carlson Quinn is promoting a show in West Hempstead, New York, if you care. It's going uh, okay. to have the Beast versus Bruno Sammartino. Shouldn't Bruno, Bruno be able to just step on him? He's like the size of an ant. I just step on you. You yeah. get out of here, you slime. Basically, I mean, seriously, like this guy he looks stinks. very like not imposing. No, not at all. But you wouldn't be able to tell that by this match because uh, it's a complete squash. Oh, yeah. It's it's no offense by Pete. Literally zero <laughs> offense. I know. Armbar by Beast. What an animal. Sanchez tries a flying head scissors, but Beast catches him and rams him into the corner. Pete Sanchez is complete trash here. He like he, here. he is really... Really be, bad, yeah. In kayfabe, you yeah. mean, right? Like no, I mean, like, just oh. the whole match, he's just doing nothing. <laughs> he's just getting his ass whooped. Davis tries to interfere, but the ref catches him. Side headlock by Beast into a choke. Rear chin lock now as we get a shot of a loosened turnbuckle on one of the corners. A very long shot of this loose turnbuckle. Yeah, they seem to be telling us that, you know, this is what's going to happen. Like, I know, somebody's right? going to get thrown into this. Uh, Sanchez, like we said, no offense, but Beast is, everything he's doing, he doesn't look good. You know, like, yeah. there's nothing remarkable about this Beast. He's doing a lot of headlocks, arm bars. He's not wrestling like a beast. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's just kind of all over him. It's, like, yeah. I, I just don't like it. So Ray Morgan does a nice ad read for the VA Children's Benefits, Quinn. Very nice. Very nice. Beal toss again by the Beast Forums. What is this? Kamala squash yeah. from 1992? A lady is like, watch Bobby Divers. What? Yeah. <laughs> I need to cut that in. Boston Crab gets the win for the Beast. Well, I didn't expect that to be the finish. Yeah, so after that long shot of the turnbuckle, he wins at the Boston Crab. The Beast, is he like a technical wrestler? Yeah, what is like, this? What, everything about this was weird and really didn't make bad. any sense. And I, I, I just don't get where they're going with the Beast. I hope he's out of the territory soon. I'm sure he is. He I mean, stinks. We, I've never heard of him yeah. until this. I had to look it up. So he attacks Sanchez after the match while smiling. Sam is like casually there holding the mic. Oh, man, Pete Sanchez. He's just so garbage. We saw him a few times, folks, in 82. And, and he's he great. I no, he's great. Remember? Are we sure this is the same Pete yes, Sanchez? Yes, and he's, he gets all the offense on the heels, and he's like a good oh, jobber. Oh, right, right. But still, again, Here is that terrible. the same guy? Yeah, it's the same guy. That's like 20 years later almost. I know. As, as Beast and Davis are leaving, Davis yells, He looks like your mama! At someone, which is <laughs> funny. He looks like your mama! <laughs> and there you have it. Cut to break, and we come back with our main event, I guess, or whatever. It's uh, one fall to curfew. It's just the match that's left over. This yeah. is like back in the day where you get the main event first. TV time remaining, like yeah. The, the, the tag match was the main event. Definitely, right? Yeah. It's a Smasher Sloan with a very stylish sweater. Not related to the axe and the Smasher. No, no, no. Different Smasher. <laughs> Versus Ronnie Etchinson with Dracula hair. Ray Morgan calls Etchinson a very trim-looking fellow. Who the hell are these people? Also, Ray acting like Ronnie is some newcomer. He looks like he's 45. He does. Like, he does it, not look new. Both of them look old. Yeah, they look old. And he's, Ray is like, this newcomer, Ronnie! <laughs> like, he's all happy that he's here. Like, Let's see what he's got. Like, Midwesterner, you yeah. know? Is that Dick Worley is the ref? I swear it, it was, might, but... It could. Can anyone verify? Possible. Anything's possible here. So Sloan folds his sweater all neatly, and then he just throws it on the floor, which makes Ray Morgan Ray chuckle. Ray thinks this is hilarious. It's like, what is this, 50s humor? Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, look, he's not neat. Sloan now taking his good time about folding that sweater. And then after, after carefully folding it, he throws it on the floor. <laughs> 
So we get a lockup to start, which uh, Edgerton sneaks out of. Both men have plain black trunks, short boots. They're all just old and grapple around. That's all this is. Yeah. Like It's just grappling Grapple. and running away. It's like and, an AWA match. Yeah. Another lockup ends in a stalemate top wrist lock by Etchison into a takedown, which gets a two count off of a wrist lock. Anyway, both <laughs> wrist lock there. Both men back up as Morgan again promotes that West Hempstead card. Some things never change, I guess. Yeah. Ray Morgan, the original event center. Seriously, like, right? I mean, he's just listing off shows. Promoting the hell out yeah. of all these cards, right? How many shows are there? <laughs> There's a lot. Side headlock by Sloan as I look it up to find out that Sloan here and Mikel Quinn actually won the WWWF US tag titles. I didn't even know those titles, titles existed. Later this year. So we take this headlock to the mat and into a front face lock, but Etch-A-Sketch here makes the ropes, fights back with a punch. Thrilling stuff here. It's literally just old guys rolling around in their underpants. <laughs> well, like, wrestling the should be. Yeah. No. <laughs> While the uh, action continues here, you can hear Ray Morgan mutter off mic, tell that timekeeper to watch me for the curfew signal, will ya? <laughs> That's funny that Ray is in charge he's like of in that. Charge, yeah, yeah. He's like running the show. Yeah. <laughs> Big chop by Etchison gets a two count because it's 1966. I want to run down 1966 and Beatles oh, real good. quick. Revolver was yet to be recorded. It would start Jeez. in April and it would come out this later old, that year. Man. The Beatles would also embark on their final tour this summer, culminating in her final show, August 29th, my birthday. Did 1966. Happen yet? Uh, that would be June. Okay. The, their final show would be a Candlestick Park, August the 29th. And George Harrison married Patty Boyd this oh, year. How nice. Layla from the Eric Clapton song, Darker Than Dominoes. That's her. Monkey Flip in the Corner by Etchy, followed by a few knee lifts, then into a front face lock. Ray Morgan mentions the next card at MSG, which is Monday, February 21st. How many cards? Also, Event Center Ray says this card's going to be a real Lulu. What the fuck does Lulu mean? <laughs> I don't know. Like, every two minutes, there's a different show. Oh, my I God. Just, do they do every day back then? <laughs> I don't like, know. I, I, like, seriously, are they a seven-day-a-week company? The way he's promoting, you'd think that, right? Yeah. Grapple here, won by Sloan, who grabs an exciting chin lock. Etchinson apparently won the Stampede Wrestling International Tag Titles with Dominic Dinucci. I didn't even Quinn. hear that amongst the event center list of stuff. Well, I looked it up and told okay. you. That's okay. why. Okay. <laughs> Three drop kicks by Etchinson sends Sloan outside where he stays until a 19 count. Wait a second. Wait a second. 20 count in WWWF? This existed outside of Japan? Are you serious? I guess like, so. Was that the I, original rule until they shortened I it? I never knew that. In the I, U.S.? I thought that the just the U.S. always did the 10 count, and outside the U.S. they did the 20 count. I didn't know that. I don't know. I thought maybe in Abraham Lincoln times or something. <laughs> when he won the title. 20, yeah, there was 20 count. When, Jeez, he, when yeah. he beat Ric Flair for the title in yeah, the 1840s. And it was written on caves. <laughs> Anyway, the bell rings for curfew, but of course Sloan acts like he won because he's a heel. Mm-hmm. Smile and Sam comes in to give the official word. It's a draw. Ray confirms this. Yes, it's a draw. <laughs> Thanks. Sloan raises his arms in victory anyway, which is funny. And Ray Morgan sends us to a blank screen while people are talking. And then he comes back and he's it's like, like so, long. so long. Yeah, it's well, the whole, the whole thing is so long. so long. And then Ray's like, well, so long, so long. Bye. I certainly hope you can be with us in person. If not, we'll see you on the tube. Until next week, Ray Morgan saying to you wrestling fans, so long. <laughs> A few people are left in the building clapping while Ray kind of laughs. I love the polite clap after Ray's like, and that's it for tonight. And they're like, yay, good job, Ray. Good job. 
So what'd you think, Quinn? It wasn't a bad show. I can see the outline, especially with the event center kind of Of how the syndicated shows would become, yeah. Yeah, it's very much the same. I mean, it's three matches. It is what it is. I mean... No interviews. Obviously, the two out of three falls thing. Well, I mean, there's some of that in 82, but... Um, True. It, it, they, they seem to act like that's more normal. Here. Yeah, I mean, this is a this is clearly a show designed to sell the house shows. Oh yeah, as it always without was. question. Yeah. Not to showcase tons of great wrestling. Yeah, I think it's an interesting snapshot in history, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, it seemed like these the people they showed us though are the people being promoted on the the shows coming up. Right. I mean, this seems to be you know at least a third of the talent. Yeah, good point. I mean, yeah. they mentioned Bruno a lot. A lot of these guys like Pugliese, the Beast, were also promoted They're on all, all these cards. They're all mentioned in all these cards. Yep. So it's an interesting time to see what it was like, because I never have really checked out like a full show. Yeah, I mean, pre-70s. To be fair, it's more of the same, like yeah, as just far an, as like championship goes. Yep, just an earlier version of it. Yeah, it's just a little more rough around the edges because it's newer. Camera work wasn't bad. The camera work was excellent, Honestly, actually. Right? I thought the camera work was very good for this early in television yep. period. Yeah. Sound quality was good. Sound quality was great. Ray Morgan, yeah. great announcer for his time. I and here's it was the one fun thing, to listen to. One thing that really uh, surprised me about this, I mean, I don't think did they have such a thing as videotape in nineteen sixty six? Not as we know it. I think no wait, uh no they did those they longer had real tapes or something. They had videotape technically. Because I don't know how the hell this was preserved. I don't know. Maybe it was on a reel of, yeah. of some kind of well, film. It's digitized now. You can go find it on Daily Motion. Yeah, not YouTube. And I don't think um, WWF would go after this. No, footage. I, I don't mean, think so either. Yeah, I, I don't think they care. <laughs> Do they even own it at this yeah. point? Who knows? Probably some weird TV station. I'd say. <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, overall, it was okay. It wasn't bad. The yeah. opening match was fun, actually. Yeah, good stuff. Um, I just thought it was a nice snapshot of the time. Yeah, exactly. I, same. I think that's really all you can say about it. It wasn't great. It yep. wasn't bad either, though. No, it wasn't bad at all. And folks, thank you for uh, taking the time to romp through the world of retro wrestling with us. We'll be back next week, of course, for another snapshot in retro wrestling history as we review some Something. We'll have week seven of the Royal Rankings, and we'll talk about a downfall. But until that time, be sure to check us out on Twitter at OVP Podcast. You can email us at OVPPodcast at gmail.com, or really join the Facebook group if you have a Facebook and you want to talk about old wrestling. It'll be a really good time. And of course, if you want to, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash OVP Podcast. And maybe if you're at it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes. We'd appreciate that. But until next time, I am John Murata. That is Smiling Michael Quinn, and we are out of here. See ya. Big news for you Long Island fans. Promoter Whitey Carlson has just signed, sealed, and delivered contracts for the biggest match in the country for West Hempstead on Friday, February 18th. About to a finish between Bobby Davis's undefeated beast and the champ Bruno San Martino. There will be no advance in prices, remember. Whitey informs us that this was a real tough match to make in addition to a big guarantee. He also had to get permission from the WWF for Bobby Davis to be a Davis to be in the beast corner. So I'd advise all you fans to start making your reservations for this outstanding match between the Beast and Bruno San Martino at the Island Garden in West Hempstead Friday night, February 18th. It certainly isn't a mohair suit, but I haven't seen mohair. That's, That's a terrible, a terrible pun. pun.